This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are, well, off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs and talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Julian Spillane is here to talk about one of the best trilogies ever made, Back to the Future. Welcome! (laughs) <laughs> back to the future sound i like it i mean we can just throw in some sound effects and the i don't know how do you make like a whoosh sound i guess, I guess you know, like the, I just kind of you just kind of go whoosh. yeah magic okay. magic radio it just fills in it just fills in exactly exactly Hi, i'm julian <laughs> um well one of the things i find interesting about it is that like you're a game maker and um like video games and stuff and while watching this i don't know why i've never really picked up on this idea before is that i find back to very game like you know like a pseudo choose your own adventure sort of like yeah it, thing. Feel, it feels a lot like a sierra style point and click adventure game where like you know marty needs to you know doc needs to get the plutonium so that he can power up the delorean yes. once he's back you know back in the past He's got to then make it to the clock tower in time while still making sure that his parents meet up. And, like, it is very situational and, mm-hmm. and almost, like, item-based. <laughs> yes. Also, Marty yeah. almost has an inventory to him, mm-hmm. um, constantly checking the photograph, constantly checking the newspapers, constantly checking the clippings to see if the future has mm-hmm. changed. And um, especially in the second and third movie, he's constantly making sure he has his hoverboard. Yes. Like, there are so many times he's like, you got your hoverboard? It's right here. And it's back and forth all the time. I'm like, really important the okay. hoverboard is the true hero of the best <laughs> trilogy. by the end of it you're just like i know who wins here it's yeah. the hoverboard <laughs> not society not our timelines or anything no the hoverboard yeah exactly also where is my fucking hoverboard zemeckis promised it to us in 2015 he said we'd have one <sighs> why is i four years you? late we have self-lacing shoes but they uh, apparently brick when you firmware update them Oh, yes, I heard about this. Because I was like, wait, how do you brick shoes? I'm like, do they turn into bricks and you can't walk? No, it turns out you can't tie your shoelaces. You it's can't fun. use your Android uh, app to tie your shoelaces for you. <laughs> I know. This is the darkest timeline. <laughs> it is very much the darkest timeline. Um, I think it's really sad when, when that kind of thing happens. I'm like, you can't you, you can't tie your own shoelaces? But, I, I mean, like a few years ago, there was a big deal about um, a electronic popsicle swirler. What? And you're just like, yeah, you, you put like either a lollipop or a popsicle into this thing. And because, you know, most people, when you, you're eating yeah. it, they like turn it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this thing turns it for you. But, when you... but that's not a hard gesture. I, I didn't say it was. Yeah, All like, I'm saying is that it exists. Do you remember the Juicero, that like Silicon Valley juicer, uh, like it was like curry, like a curry coffee for juice. Yeah. But it turns out that the juice packets they sold you, you could just squeeze by hand into a glass and save yourself hundreds and hundreds of dollars yeah the company went bankrupt <laughs> i mean like that is uh but do they still make those juice packets uh, they should but they don't oh well i mean if the machine doesn't work fine but you can still sell self-juicing juice packets i think the margins are pretty low i think the silicon valley investors mm-hmm. who got real excited about the juice era will probably look at the margins on juice packets and go nope not a good thing yeah, yeah. i mean it's probably just cheaper to you know buy an orange yeah <laughs> yeah More than you know that's the thing but at least, you know, blenders took off. Blenders are a huge thing now to yeah. blend things together. Kind of like juicers. Like a thing that, you know, you take an apple and put it in and you get juice out of it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty useful. But isn't it like, I think that the benefit of 
a blender over a juicer is the fact the thing that makes juice quote unquote healthy like from a fruit is the fiber content mm -hmm. and if you're juicing it you're taking out the fiber content and just true. having all the sugar you're right? throwing it in the blender is way better in general yeah you have yeah. all this stuff i wouldn't know i don't know too much about juice but <laughs> apparently i know more about juice than i ever thought i could so there you go <laughs> Uh, anyways, let's go back to the future mm -hmm. <laughs> and talk about these, uh, this trilogy that is, I still think it's one of the, the best trilogies ever made. Agreed. Um, just, I mean, I, I don't think they're, they're perfect on every level, but they're pretty close. I think the first film is special because of what it was when it came out, mm -hmm. but I just watched them all back to back again just to get myself prepared for this. And... It's, it's, compared to 2, it's a fairly unremarkable film. Because I think, in my, my, in my opinion, 2, while relying on it to exist, mm -hmm. does so much, so much more interesting stuff with time travel. Marty going back to visit Marty who went back. The, like, interactions yeah. of all the characters and, like, the, the ramifications and the implications of being in a time loop mm -hmm. is far more interesting um, than, I think, the premise of the first film, which is really just, at the end of the day, like, a rom-com adventure with time travel. Yeah, but I mean... It might be reductive about it, because it is yeah. incredibly important. But I think, like, 2 does so much more with mm -hmm. it, but it couldn't do it without 1. So it's one of those, like, of it, course, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a paradox there into itself. But I think one of the reasons why it, it is still held at such esteem is because it really... Like, it wasn't the first movie to deal with time travel, but it was the first movie to deal with time travel in this way. Yes. You know? Um, and without it, there would be, like, whole genres of film that wouldn't exist. Agreed. Uh, and, and, and storytelling in general. Like, you can tell that so much of the television we watch, so much of the games we play, so much of the, the fiction we read is mm -hmm. inspired by how they handle time travel in Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I keep thinking about what, what would the series be like if we, we ended up with that Eric Stoltz Back to the version of it, yeah. Because yeah. like, how much, how much is Michael J. Fox? How much of like of the series' success can you attribute to Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd just stealing the show from each other constantly? Like, they're so good. They're so good, and, and then that's the thing. It's phenomenal. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of movies fail from a lack of chemistry between characters and things like that. And I'm not saying that um, Nick Stoltz and like Christopher Lloyd didn't have chemistry because I didn't see that version of the movie. I, yeah. I don't know, but it definitely would have been different you know i think the thing is with nick stoltz even though he would do he would do the humor justice yeah he would just lack a certain level of i'm gonna say goofiness that would be just missed yeah no I, know? I agree with that uh how about that mysterious uh elizabeth shoe replacement in back to the future <laughs> too that's that's always like I, Crispin Glover, I get. Mm -hmm. Like, he, I, I understand he was probably too expensive or... No, I, apparently he was just being a dick. Was he being a dick? No yeah. one liked him? That everybody, like, apparently when they signed up to do two, because, like, they'd never expected to do two. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I found out about this first movie, like, that end sequence was a joke. They're like, what if we did this at the end? And there was never actually meant to be a sequel, but they used that as a jumping point when they had the money to do the sequel, which yeah. I thought was awesome. So the all of the rest of the cast like was like yeah we're on we're down we're gonna yeah. do it everybody got pay raises not anything ridiculous they all got pay raises it's yeah. fine and apparently what it was is Chris McGlover was just like no I want all of this ridiculous stuff and you have to give me a ridiculous amount of money when you come back and they're just like well I guess you'll just be dead yeah we're good <laughs> thank you and in fact it makes it a better story 
I, I think so. Yeah. It's, then you know, Marty going back in time to save his dad from being murdered by Biff Tannen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but I wonder, like, okay, Crispin Glover, I get. But like, mm-hmm. what did Claudia Wells do? Like, you know, she, she, got, she just got she got shooed. Like, so many people in the eighties just got replaced <laughs> by Elizabeth <laughs> Shue. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I mean, Elizabeth Shue is great. She's great. Um, but what has she done? I mean, come on. Like, yeah. what are you doing to these poor people? Yeah, like, like just, just uh, I mean, it's, you know, you gotta be, you gotta have done something crazy to be shooed. And yes. Because, <laughs> um, uh, so at the end of the DVDs, when I was watching them, they have little featurettes per movie. And for that first one, they did, like, they did not mention, like, her being replaced in any way, shape, or form. Oh. So, I don't know what happened to her. It might just be a contract dispute. I mean, nine times out of ten, that's what these things are. Like, somebody, just they can't come to an agreement, and mm-hmm. they decide that they're gonna, maybe she was on the up and up, and thought that, like, she, maybe she pulled a Shelley Long, like, thought oh, she was gonna, she, yeah. her star was rising so fast, and made demands that just, you know, inevitably called that prize. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm gonna, gonna be big star anyway, so I'm going, and then nothing happened. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. I, side note, we've been rewatching Cheers at home, because... Lisa's never seen Cheers. He started with Frasier and worked backwards. Mm-hmm. And um, just the just the entire cast's like, if you watch the featurettes on the DVDs where they're talking about what it's like to work with each other and stuff, mm-hmm. just hearing Ted Danson talk about Shelley Long, like, I think there's a lot more Diane and Shelley than she would care to admit. Is like the most backhanded, like, like smack across oh. the face. Oh my god. That's amazing. Sorry, derailist types. <laughs> no, that's Shelley Long syndrome is, is 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 a crazy concept. Like the idea of just assuming your 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 star is rising way faster than it is, and not listening to anyone who's asking you to be cautious about it. Mm-hmm. And that's like, like I know of a lot of people after Shirley Long, but there must have been people in like the silver screen oh, age yes, and stuff that yes. would have done something ridiculous like that. No, I'm sure. I guarantee you, there were. There probably were were tons of them. Mm. I mean, like, even going back to the, the Hitchcock days, I'm sure there were people who blew up from, from his films and then didn't, or I don't know. Yeah. But I, I'm not, I'm so, I'm not an expert. I really, I really, my, my film knowledge kind of end, begins at 1960 some odd. Yeah. And goes from there. I, <laughs> 50s and 40s movies are alien to me. Yeah. Well, and the, the thing too about, um, uh, one of the things, like, sequels and stuff weren't really a huge thing until maybe the 70s yeah you know like they were very few very far in between or non-existent most of the time um and but in like like the early days of cinema there was not there wasn't a sequel to stuff like you made a movie and you got on with your life you did something else you know? the, i think universal monster films were mm-hmm. probably the first ones to do a lot of serialized sequels like mm-hmm. bride of and like yeah curse of and that kind of stuff and the james james bond I think James Bond yeah. was this this innovative concept of we're just going to keep revisiting this character and new adventures mm-hmm. uh, at such a large scale. But you're right. Like, but it wasn't like, but, but James Bond, it wasn't the, like, a studio was like, let's just keep making more movies. It was, there's a series of books and there's a character yeah. and we're just going to, each movie was really just, like, it wasn't, like, it had the same character, but yeah. it wasn't considered a sequel. It was just another movie you know yeah, but I, mean, I understand i mean if, if, if it had been if gone, gone with the wind had been released in 2017 in 2019 we'd now be getting gone with the wind again yeah right or, or a blown away westward or something <laughs> i don't know you know something uh casablanca 2 electric boogaloo <laughs> so i know i just watched the canon films uh golden globus documentary mm-hmm. electric boogaloo it's phenomenal it's, it's about like 
canon films ridiculous like rise to power with shitty movies mm-hmm. and just like being as low budget as possible and as widespread as possible it's phenomenal it's I'm worth gonna watching. put my hand up yep what's canon films so canon films uh is a notorious um film production company from the started in the 70s or started in the 60s in israel and then oh. moved into um, American film in, in around the 70s. Okay. Uh, but they're responsible for like some gems and some bombs. Uh, things like Cobra with Sylvester mm, Stallone. That's yeah. a canon film. Okay. Um, American Ninja, the American mm-hmm. Ninja series, that's also <laughs> canon film. Jesus, okay. And they, they were just known for like their scattershot approach to throwing money at things mm-hmm. and just seeing what sticks. Yeah. And like it, it, it kind of worked for them. They started getting mm-hmm. successes and hits and then bombs then hits. And it was always... It, like you're, it was like like Orion films too. You're always scratching your head, going, "Okay, on the one hand, you just did the Terminator, but on the other hand, you're doing like a schlocky, porky, like third prequel." You know, like yeah. what? What's your strategy? And the answer was there was no strategy. Yeah. It was all just cocaine everywhere. Yeah, and like, we just we're just gonna make whatever comes on our desk. Yeah. Done. We're just we're just gonna do it. Yeah. So speaking of the 1950s, um, bring it back to Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing to think about, and I've actually been thinking about this a lot since I listened to um, some interviews with the some of the older Simpsons writing crews. Okay. And they were talking about how in the, you know, we always see, you see jokes about the 50s a lot and jokes about the early 60s in a lot of media from the late 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. And the reason postulated by these people, and it kind of makes sense, is that, well, a lot of these writers who are writing for these shows were born in the late 40s. Their halcyon heyday years were the 50s and early 60s. And so when it comes time to write something in the 80s, you're throwing back to your nostalgia, even if it's not your target demographics. Yes. And that's one of the things I find fascinating about Back to the Future mm-hmm. is it was a movie made in the 1980s for children in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Those children have no idea about what malt shops are, about, you know, like... 50s culture in terms of the way they do dances, the way they, the music mm-hmm. they listen to, the organization and setup of things. But they just made the conscious decision, like, we're going to write this in such a way that even if you have no fucking clue what's going on in this mm-hmm. time period, you'll have fun, but we'll get to throw in all the little references that we, that harken back to our childhoods. And I think that's yeah. probably why it comes off as so magical. Yeah. Because they're literally drawing upon the nostalgia that fueled them, that made them the happiest, mm-hmm. and injecting that into... Into the movie, yeah. yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Like, I, I mean, just... Like, you, you watch the movie, and, like, how completely clueless Marty is, for example, when he gets back to the 50s. He's like, I don't understand anything that's going on, yeah. even though everything is... How about that Pepsi Free reference? That yeah. Is the, that is the most dated <laughs> reference. I know. Well, I mean, pretty much everything about him is excessively dated yeah. now. I mean, even when they go to the future, it's excessively dated now. And that was only technically four years ago. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, Pepsi Free. I mean, who... What? <laughs> What? This predates Crystal Pepsi by only a few years. Like, oh God, yeah, Crystal Pepsi. That's what I think. It's what, I think Pepsi Free is what they called. Like, I might be wrong on this. Is what Diet Pepsi was before Diet Pepsi was Diet Pepsi. I think so. Yes. Um. And yeah, just the idea of him rolling into a fifties diner asking for a Pepsi Free and being told you got to pay for it, bud. Yeah. Is just <laughs> just a great great writing. And I think this nostalgic love of of that decade. Is kind of why I think three in its Western setting falls flat a little bit. It does because 
you can't possibly have nostalgia for the Wild West because no one was alive who was writing or being involved in this, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's more like a love for Western films. I mean, and they make reference to that within the film, like yes. right at the beginning, yeah, right? Exactly. That it was like a love of Western films and um, like Marty loves Clint Eastwood, for example, so they all make Clint Eastwood references. Yeah. Or like uh, they go to where the... Um, uh, Drive-in is there. Yeah. You go. Drive-in. That's the word I'm looking for. It's not something I have to say on a regular basis anymore. Uh, the drive-in, and it's like it's painted like a Wild West. Yeah. Scene, you know. Um, but what I think is hilarious, though, is the fact that they still manage to decide, despite Marty's love of westerns and seeing western films, they still decide to dress him in red pants and a pink shirt with I lots know. of like, <laughs> fringe on it. What? Everybody knows it's brown head to toe. That's it. That's but I mean, I, that was I, it was Doc's idea, and you know, oh, you don't qu- don't question the Doc. <laughs> also, how old is the Doc? I swear he's like the nineteen eighty five or so. He's like eighty years old. Well, it's so weird because they aged up Christopher Lloyd for that for that role. So they they put like age makeup on him because he was only like fifty in in Back to the Future. Okay. Because he's 70 now. So, no, he must have been in his 40s. In his 70s now. Yeah. Lloyd. So, they aged him up for some reason to make him look like a mad scientist. But then you're like, okay, maybe he's 60. Mm-hmm. Let's be generous. Maybe he's just had a hard life. He's 60. Yeah. He's still having two kids. By the time you see him at the end of Back to the Future 3, where he's showing up with Clara and Jules and Vern... Well, those kids have to be like 10 and 8 based on their height and size. So mm-hmm. he's at least in his 70s now. Yep. Like that is a, that is some, vir- that is a virile old man. Yeah. Well, it, but the thing <laughs> is, even when he goes back in time to 1955, he looks like he's 40. Yeah. So in 1985. Yeah. He's got to be like 70. And yeah. It, it, and it, he's all like, he's like in that third movie too. He's like running up a train, jumping on things, you know. Horseback riding, saving chicks, like what? Yeah, yeah, it's you know he'd just fall down and break his hip, like it's weird. Maybe he's uh, giving himself a super serum, like mm-hmm. you know he's he can invent, he invents time travel. He might true. he might have gone into the future and got some kind of anti aging serum. But remember, he did like that rejuvenation process in the future, and he peeled oh, like, yeah. that skin thing. Maybe that did it for him. Yeah, but the funny thing is, when he peeled that stuff off his face, he looked the same. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, I'm supposed to suspension of disbelief. Wait, right? Yes. Because <laughs> he was like, I thought you wouldn't recognize me. So I had to put this mask on because I did a rejuvenating treatment. So maybe that's what it was. That rejuvenating treatment. Yeah. You know, he's going to live in, you know, the 1800s. Like, no, that means. Wait, wouldn't that mean if he went back in time and stayed with Clara and if he had a rejuvenating treatment, wouldn't he still be alive well, and this brings born? and this brings us to the the time paradox. So they warn against time paradoxes in Back to the Future Two. Mm-hmm. You know, bring about the end of the universe and all that. Yeah. Yet they have no qualms introducing the biggest time paradox of them all. <laughs> if Doc Brown travels back in time to the 1800s and starts his own life, mm-hmm. but can now freely travel, he abandons his idea of burning the time machine and never using it again. Yeah. And now he's freely traveling throughout time. Mm-hmm. At some point, something he's done or interfered with, is going to mess with his original self. Well, of course. It has to, right? Like, and and, and you're right, his existence will overlap with his own birth. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even though in the third one they try to do an explanation of uh, Doc Brown's history, which is three seconds long, and I kind of should have wrote it down, but I didn't, I swear he's like his own great-grandfather or something. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe Jules and Vern, one of them is actually Doc Brown. Maybe, maybe... 
Emmett is a uh, middle name. <laughs> no. Oh God. Yeah. No, see, then it just gets weird. It just gets weird at that point. Yeah. Cause then you go up and you go back and you fuck your grandmother and yeah. And then it starts all over again. <laughs> yeah. But then maybe that's what it is. It's just a big time loop. And if he doesn't do this, he doesn't exist. <laughs> back to the future is just one big incest time loop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doc Brown had sex with his great grandmother, even though he said not for Marty, not to do that to his own mother in the past. Yeah. So, Hey, what you know else? what? Doc Brown is totally a do as I say, not as I do, do kind of guy. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Oh my God. So something stuck out with me watching it this time again through the the, the first film, and mm. uh, when he mentions John F. Kennedy and that farmer guy's like, "Who the hell is John F. Kennedy?" Mm. And it's like, okay, but let's take a step back. John F. Kennedy was was a congressman in the 1950s. He yeah. was a well known. He was a well known person. And, still. And, and and like like the Kennedy family was was still like like they were big 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 in business in Chicago. Not Chicago. They would have been in Boston. Sorry, but big in business. Like they. They were a known thing. That that line always stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know it's just pure pedantry, but yeah, that's the whole point of well, the, the a, a whole point is movies yeah. Like, I mean, the the whole point of of the of things like that is them being like that doesn't make any sense because that wouldn't have happened yet. So how would we know about it? Even yeah. though technically they would have some sort of idea. Yeah, who these people are, you know. Uh, one of my favorite ones is the. Uh, I mean, it's it's legit, and it's it kind of harkens back to now, where when he goes back in time and uh, he meets Doc Brown, Doc Brown doesn't believe he's from the future, and he's like, who's president? He's like, Ronald Reagan. The actor? The actor? <laughs> you know? And then he like goes on about all the, uh, like a bunch of stupid things. But one thing I, I hadn't realized before was the scene a little bit earlier on was when Marty first goes into town, and he passes the, the theater, like yeah. the movie theater, and they're showing... A Ronald Reagan movie. Oh, that's right? cool. And was I had never... Where, was it the one where he uh, acted with a chimp? No. That is my favorite fi- trivia. <laughs> I, for, for a while, I thought that was the most embarrassing thing you could say about the President of the United States. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not, not anymore. anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the movie was Cattle Queen of Montana, starring Ronald Reagan and Barbara Stanwyck. Oh, that sounds like a real it's barn a, burner. It's a real movie. I looked it up. It, it does exist. It wasn't yeah. some nonsense they put out there. It sounds like schlock. Yes, it's, yeah. it's going to be schlock. But um, but yeah, I was just like, oh, that's what they were doing. I get it. <laughs> I get it. You know, I the, the 80s cafe is funny because they weren't far off from 80s nostalgia being like, like Asian nostalgia really hit hard in like 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. They were only a year off from people obsessing over 80s things and listening to Synthwave again mm-hmm. and, and sequelitis to 80s films. They, 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 I thought when I first saw it, that's like, I'm like, ah, are we really going to be looking back to the 80s with revelry and nostalgia mm-hmm. in 2015? Yeah. Yeah, we are. But that's the thing. Like I find with uh, media and uh, society in general, there's a, a bit of a obsession with looking back. Well, it's the, right? It's the thirty. It's the, it goes back it's, to the it's thirty, 30 year thing. It's yeah. the, now that you're adults mm-hmm. and you're out of your twenties, you wax poetically about the things you grew up with because you want to introduce those to your your kids to those. Mm-hmm. You want to you know that kind of thing. You want to introduce yeah. the new generation to the thing that you liked. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's why they picked the eighties and the twenty fifteen, but. Like, I understand the nostalgia. My problem is how they presented the nostalgia. Oh, yeah. It was so excessively ridiculous. And one of the things that really bothers me about it is the fact that how can you forget such basic things? Like, 
media exists already. You have pieces of paper and videos and all that kind of stuff written down, okay? You're not going to forget how a video game works between now and then. No. You're going to know that, no, working out on, like, a stationary bike in a restaurant is not a thing, okay? Uh, you know, stuff like, I'm like, no, this is not what the 80s, no, that's not Polygrams the Polygrams that attack people from rooftops. Stops. Yeah, like, yeah. you know. Jaws 16? 17, I think it was. 17. Yeah. Jesus. That, that was presumptuous. <laughs> that was a lot, too. They, uh, <laughs> they were kind of close with the Cubs thing, though. They yeah. were only a year off. A year off. Yeah. yeah. So, psychic. Tell you that. Some Somebody has an almanac. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere. So we're just like, oh, we'll, we'll throw them off. Like, we don't really know. But yeah. let's see. Uh, well, in the first movie, like, like let's just go through the movies. I find, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I do find a lot of the kitschy things in the first movie thoroughly endearing mm-hmm. and how they use like random you know tropes all over the place to just like throw people off or or really get nerd boys like angry like especially the whole darth vader thing oh, from, from vulcan, from planet vulcan. <laughs> it's so funny. i laughed so hard at that i'm I just like, hearing crispin glover be like and darth vader from the planet vulcan visited and he told me that he like <laughs> what a fucking nerd <laughs> the entire time lisa and i are watching lisa's like He's so weird. He is like, weird. like his, his his portrayal of, of, of Mr. McFly is is just so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Even when he's an adult, like like just the, the things he says, like they they wrote him to be the weirdest dweeb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they really did. And even in the future, in the present, the nineteen eighty five. Let's make it easy. Where he comes back and he's like he's not the dweeb. Yeah. He's still really weird. Yes. You know. Yeah. Like he's still just, very strange. His mannerisms are very bizarre. Yeah. Um. Which, well, like, it's not that I hadn't picked up on that before. It was just more apparent this yeah. time when I watched it. I was just like, "What is happening? What is? What are you doing with your hair? Why are you so greasy?" <laughs> yeah, that's, and he's always sweaty. Why yeah. is he always sweaty? I'm like, "Can you stand up straight? Like he's got like a hunchback and yeah. you know, especially the scene where he goes in and he's he's going to Leah Thompson, and he like does this like he's got like the notebook in one hand." And, like, one arm is, like, way out here for some reason. Yeah. And he's, like, strangely walked like he's part of, like, a Shakespearean play. I'm like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Yeah. Why do you think this is how you're going to, you know, find that special someone? Exactly. Yeah, it's so strange. <laughs> you know? So, one thing that, that makes me wonder, right? Mm. So, original 1985, Lorraine and George are married. Yes. Marty goes back in time. Beats up Biff and or, you know teaches him and teaches his dad or gets his dad to beat up Biff. Teaches him confidence. Blah blah blah. Comes back. George and Lorraine are, are still married, but they're cool now. Yes. So how did George and Lorraine hook up the first time without Marty's intervention? Well, the whole point is that she wouldn't have been in the car with Marty at the time. Right, right. But I mean, like Biff, like like how did she end up with George in the first place? Like, what's the OG story? Well, because rem- so remember when like he was hit by her father. Oh, because yeah, because she yeah. George got hit by the car, right? And, and that's, that's how. Right. And so the same thing happened to Marty, and that's why she was yeah. kind of obsessed with him yeah. at first. You know, Lorraine like, was but, pretty damn thirsty in that movie. Oh my god, excessively! <laughs> You're just like you need to calm down. Stop yeah. taking weird people's pants off, putting them in your bed, and making comments about and, it, and okay? making comments about your underwear. If she's looked close enough to see that CK, yeah, yeah, You're like Calvin Klein. Also, wait, one thing I never understood about this movie. I was never a person who had names sewn into my underwear. No. Okay. 
And, but the thing is, you look at a lot of movies and stuff like that, especially when you have, like, people who are nerds and stuff in it, they always have their names sewn into their underwear. Why is that a thing? Is that, like, I, I wonder if partially it's a trope going back to, like, the 30s or 40s, or if there's, like, some kind of, like, hobo trope that mm. has to do with your name being written on your underwear. Like, a, is, it like military, is, is it a military thing? Like when yeah, because that's what I was thinking of, too. Like, it's kind of like dog tags. If they find your body, like, how are they going to identify yeah, you? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's, like, a, maybe it's a military thing or something like that. But, yeah, I... I never understood it. I always thought it thought it a thing of, of the movies or of TV. Like mm -hmm. it's like a gag. Like Grandpa Simpson having his name written on his underwear and yeah. being able to pull it off. Like <laughs> yeah. how'd you do that, Grandpa? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like all of those things always come from somewhere, though. They come from even if it's not well known, and then it turns into just like a TV trope that. It was done for like two years yeah. for some specific thing and just never happened again. But it's just been coming up over and over and over again. Like, I think it's just such a weird thing for films and stuff to be obsessed with or to continue having I, in them. I think it's one of those things, kind of like um, Jughead, Jughead's hat, in that there's probably a very sensible, specific reason why this thing started. Mm -hmm. And then over the years it mutated. Because you know, like Jughead's hat in Archie is the... the interior of a, of a fedora so mm -hmm. like not the brim the fedora with the brim cut off yeah. turned inside, inside out, out and they put bottle caps on on and pins on it and that was like part of their the, like the the style for five years at the time mm. the late 20s early 30s or something yeah but over time people think his, his hat's a crown with like circle a circle and a square on it because it's yeah. been just reduced and i think the same thing with the underwear writing the underwear i'm sure there is a very specific very logical reason where that started mm -hmm. somebody referenced that once and then everyone referenced the thing that referenced it and then it's just a photocopy getting of, a photocopy of itself getting yeah. you know weirder and weirder and less distinguishable very blurred yeah. yeah i mean i guess that makes sense i just i still just think it's weird i yeah. just think it's so so weird that and it comes up so often he had his wallet on him so like she identified him by she would rather strip him down to his underwear and identify him by looking at what's on there than by opening up his wallet and looking at his identification. Yeah. Which would have clearly blown, you know, Jake would have been up, would have said 1985, and there a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And to, to the point that he has that wallet, he uses it to try to convince Doc Brown that yeah. he's from 1985. So it's not like she couldn't have found out who he was. Mm -hmm. It's a very strange modus operandi. Yeah, I think she's just... Teenage she's girl, a I guess. dirty teenager. Yeah. Um, but, I, but that also goes completely against... Um, what she was as an adult. And I think yeah. maybe that's the whole thing is that she's like beaten down by how lame her husband is and how mm. lame her life is with him. Yeah. And like, and I guess she probably also blames that for where she ended up. So she's like, don't ever do these things or else you're going to end up like me. Yeah, yeah. There's probably a lot of internalized like crappiness there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She does turn out to be, they all turn out to be really sad, but I mean, that's the thing that happens, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, not to everybody, but you know, things don't always go exactly the way you want them to or expect them to, yeah. no matter how big your aspirations are. Yeah, I mean, you can't, not everyone can be successful, not everyone can be, like, the, you know, the, what their dreams are, but, mm -hmm. you know, you can try and approximate it as best as possible. As best as possible, exactly. Um, one of the things the filmmakers said about this movie when they were making it, they were just like, no, I think everybody sort of would like to see what their parents were actually like as kids. Because all kids grow up with their parents telling them, like, grandiose stories about you know walking eight miles to school uphill both ways with you know 80 degree weather and six feet of snow and you're just like that's impossible they're like i did it and you know we all, <laughs> yeah. we all know that's bullshit because now you know in our 30s 
I can barely remember what I did when I was, like, at any given moment when I was a kid. Yeah. I, I was actually reading an article about this recently, and it's called, uh, youth, like, youthful amnesia, or mm-hmm. youth amnesia, um, and it's something that we've been studying for a long time, and originally, like, it goes back to as early as Freud, and Freud, because he's Freud, mm, assumed that we have, we have youthful amnesia because we want to repress the memories of our sexual awakening or something like that. Now, that's mostly considered bunk. Um, but they've recently found out that, like, because our brains are developing as we're growing, the neurons that are responsible for, for memory storage in that period are less stable. Mm-hmm. So as the brain needs to grow and neural pathways need to be formed, the brain is likely to just write over those because it needs to create a stable lattice of, like, neurological connections. Yeah. And so, and it doesn't deem that those young memories are worth keeping if you're continuing to form new ones and alive and well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's a lot of research going into why we forget a lot of the stuff when we're kids. But, like, most people have complete amnesia before the age of three. Yeah. Most people can't remember a single thing from there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us have spotty memories of childhood in between there. So, like, mm-hmm. I think I've got a couple memories from when I was five, maybe. Okay. But... I also don't know what's a real memory and what's something that somebody told me I did and has now been that, yeah. reverse engineered into what I think is a memory. Yes. Well, cause, and that's the thing. It's, there's so, like you spend so much time with like your parents or aunts and uncles or remember the time you did this and you're just like, no, but then you hear it too often. You're like, yeah, that was a great day. You don't really yeah. know for sure until maybe you're like 15, 20, like, yeah, about 15 or so, yeah. when things get relatively stable, like, if you've actually done something or not. But that's also why people think, like, uh, like regression therapy is doesn't actually work. and Because no matter what you say, it can just implant images in people's heads and it fills in blanks where, you know, there may not be anything to fill in. Mm-hmm. Right? No, it's true. Yeah. And it's, it, got, it costs people a lot of, like, problems. You know, like... They think they've had a trauma they never had, or they've met, you know, a certain person they haven't, uh, they've, like, they've never met before, or, like, they've done something they've never done before, I mean. It's the ultimate form of gaslighting, right? Like, implanting a memory, basically. Yeah, Yeah. into someone's mind, yeah. It's fucked up. And the thing is, is even as adults, memory is faulty no matter what, because you will, like, with the photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy, like, you don't remember, like remember your actual memory what what they say is that so the first time you remember something you remember it yeah but the next time you remember it you're actually remembering the memory of the event and that's how it goes so like by the time you know it's 50 years down the road you know dress colors change the day changes little details change or little details don't even exist you don't remember who's there what you were really doing you're just like yeah it was a really beautiful day and we were having a picnic and i had sandwiches but really you had like pasta and it was in a restaurant like it's those are the the details that your brain's like well these don't matter Mm -hmm. like the the minutiae doesn't matter unless it's important yeah like if if spaghetti was the the root of the memory that you'd probably never forget that it was spaghetti but you, the other things surrounding it doesn't, you know, stop being irrelevant, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it takes us back to the McFlies. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a curse. I, don't, I think I, I'd want to see verif- verification of what my parents' stories were about their, their crazy lives. Especially because my parents lived, lived my, you know, my mother was a touring musician. My dad oh, wow. was also a touring musician. Yeah. And, like, they have crazy stories. But, I mean, again, you know, the ravages of age plus the... Uh, the nature of 
people who like to embellish yeah. where 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 does the truth fall i mean i think i'd like to see that only just for like a little fraction of the time i wouldn't want to wouldn't want to spend time or interact with my youthful parents like marty does mm-hmm. yeah i think i think most people would probably not like i mean i think about like even myself like if i went back like i could visit myself as a 15 year old i'd probably hate myself yeah I'd be like, you are the worst person, human being ever. Yeah. What is wrong with you? I just smack, smack myself up and be like, I can straighten up. Yeah, exactly. But imagine like you do it once over where you manage to meet like your 15, 16 year old parents. You are not going to like them. No. You know, like I know Marty, like there are things that will be fascinating about it. Like Marty was like, oh, my father has a creative side. This is amazing. No, my mother wasn't always this weird prude. Yeah. You know, she liked to go out. She liked to do things, even though it weirds him out because it's it's at him. Yeah. Yes. But at least he knows, like, she wasn't always this uh, sheltered. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, she had the chance and the ability to go out there and do stuff. That's cool. But personality-wise, I mean, really? So how did nobody question Marty's existence in the 50s? Like, like there are people who are like, oh, where did you come from? Mm-hmm. But, like, th- there was no... No, no one you know, at the school was like the like, like the principal wasn't like you don't attend this this institution. Mm-hmm. He just assumed that he was a slacker like the rest. Yeah, but I mean, the school couldn't have been that big that you wouldn't notice this. Like you know, was, maybe the things were just so lax in the fifties they didn't care about. The I mean, it wasn't like computers and numbers yeah. and it's just random paperwork. Maybe they lost something somewhere. Yeah. And George, George like doesn't really question. Where he came from, really? He does wonder why he's following him around all the time, though. Yeah. He does question that, which is understandable. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like, oh, you know, it's just taken for granted that maybe this is a guy who's been at the school the whole time and we just ignored mm. him. I guess it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I think that's thoroughly possible. Yeah. But it's true. Like, I mean, he's a teenager, shows up out of nowhere, doesn't go to any classes, but has lunch with people. And dresses very different from everybody. Everybody else. Yeah. Yes, that is very true. You know, he did get him out of the life preserver right yeah. very early on. I love that. Which I love good. all the jokes about him being a naval, like, member of the Navy, like, a sailor. <laughs> well, you have that life preserver on, even on land, you know? <laughs> it's just a dig at that, like, crappy 80s fashion. Yeah, but I mean, even him wearing, like, um, like the jeans he was wearing and stuff, jeans were not very popular at that they time They were for period. tradespeople. Yeah. Um, so, like, like, I would think people would question him a little bit more. Yeah. At that point in time. And also, like, um, like he has dinner with, like, his grandparents and parents or whatever, and his mother. And um, he's like, oh, no, my family's out of town. Nobody offers to take him home or anything. He just gets up and walks out the door. And you're just like, but he's a teenager. Well, she does. Call they they, they do offer to call his parents. Like, he's like, do, you, do I know your mother? And Marty goes, well, I, I think you do. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I need to call her to let, you, let her know you're safe. And yes, that's that's the because he because he was gonna stay uh, stay the night and like recover from his injury and then he mm-hmm. gets out of there because Lorraine's too creepy. Yes, grabbing his leg under the table and stuff, yeah. which is uncomfortable to say the least. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I did. Uh, I wanted to bring bring this up as well, uh, talking about like the like the family and yeah. and how they he met Lorraine like his mother and stuff. But the thing is, when he saved his dad. And his grandfather, I guess, hit him with the car. 
The first thing the guy yells is, Stella, another one of these damn kids jumped in front of my car. Yeah. Another one? Yeah, yeah. How many kids are jumping in front of your car? Like, is, is he just committing vehicular manslaughter? Like, <laughs> All over the yeah. place? Like, and, Yeah, because I, I thought, like, maybe maybe they'd gotten confused with their own timeline when they were writing it. Like, maybe mm-hmm. that was something that got left in by accident. Like, or maybe there was, like, a cut scene or That he something. hit George multiple times or something. Okay. But... I don't know. It just felt weird. I'm like, yeah, is, 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 is that a mistake or are you just hitting kids with your car? <laughs> I got very worried all of a sudden. I was just like, are there bodies in your backyard? Is this what I need to know? Maybe that's maybe that's why her uncle Joey's in, uh, in prison. prison. Oh, you never know. So that's right. It's a family condition of vehicular yeah. manslaughter. But apparently uh, he really enjoyed being behind bars as a toddler as well. Yeah. So. It's not that he. I think he keeps committing crimes because he likes being in jail, not because of anything else. Yeah, he's just, he's just like he's just happy to be there, which I thought was a very odd thing to have to put in there. But yeah. sure, yeah. The soundtrack about this movie, though, Huey Lewis in the news. You know, we're going back in time. So good. Oh, it's phenomenal. Yes. Like, it, Power of Love, Back in Time are just two fantastically great anthems that mm-hmm. uh, everybody remembers. It's it, Huey Lewis's distinct voice. That the the, the amazing musical prowess of the news they're um, yeah. a super tight super tight band that fun fact they're made up of a, a lot of talented session musicians mm-hmm. who were just like they would session on uh big studio albums for people and and huey lewis when he was looking to have a, a band back him for his new rendition mm-hmm. um, he basically handpicked all these people to create like this super tight group of musicians and oh, that's wow. why like everything they do is just so good yes um, and it's just so musically tight uh very very fun. I I can't I can't think of a better sound to represent Back to the Future as well because mm-hmm. like it's very it's very 1985. Yes. That like there's nothing very few things more 85 than that than the power of love like yeah. that that funk bass line that comes in that's mm-hmm. just post disco the 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 synth stabs from um, I think it's a Roland JX eight P um, and like analog synthesizer doing the synth stabs. And like, just the the nice textured and uh, respectful eighties guitar, just over it, nothing too heavy, <laughs> yeah. just some nice, just nice layers, and then just the, the all the swelling mm. hitting up to the the chorus. Yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to say more about them, but you pretty much said everything about it. I mean, well, and very, and also very succinctly, you you <laughs> I, said it as I well. Love you know, Lewis. It's a... and as soon as like it starts playing, you, you just get into it. You get into the sound of it. Yeah. And everything, you know. And one thing I I like about Hugh Lewis as well, it's they don't have like um, it's their lyr- lyricism is is what I'm I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Their lyrics aren't, like, overly complex or crazy deep or anything. But they're just, like, nice lyrics that make sense and go somewhere and do something. Yeah. You know? Uh, whereas I find, like, a lot of music, not just today, even in that time period, it was just nonsense. They're just throwing things that kind of rhyme or kind of sound good together. Yeah. And blah. No, he said, he actually says a story within... Well, and that's an important part of, of New Wave as a genre. New Wave was very much about lyrical um, sensibility and about the idea that we're writing like a commentary on something. Because mm-hmm. uh, it came out of the punk movement. And they wanted to take the pop music sensibilities of, of chord progressions and, and interesting, like, catchy uh, melodies and apply punk um, philosophy to it. 
Mm. That's kind of where, you know, the new romantics and new wave came from. And that's why you get these, like, really compelling songs um, by bands like The Cure. Mm. Um, and that's why you get uh, things like, like Huey Lewis, because it, 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 it's a new, they're a new wave band. They're writing happy new wave music, but they're very much about, this is the story, the narrative, the message we're going to tell with our song. Mm. And that's how we're going to write it. We're just going to make sure that it, it's cohesive and everything we write around that will just musically fit it. Yeah. And I th- also think that's why it fits so well in this movie. I mean, on the surface, this movie is just a little pop jaunt to for teenagers to have a good time. Mm-hmm. But like there's an actual story and there's an actual message and there's, you know, like it's it's actually a very well put together story that has a bunch of different layers to it that just really works. Yeah. You know, and I guess the music in it reflects that and together it makes it just better. Movie taught me one thing is to never steal plutonium from terrorists. Uh, Libyans to be exact. Specifically Libyans, Libyans. yeah. Also, why, like, maybe I should have looked this up. Maybe it has specifically to do with the time period. But why Libyans? Gaddafi. That's right. So Gaddafi was still, was was, uh, was the leader of Libya. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that was where a lot of the the nuclear threat was coming from, at least at that That point in time. Because uh, like the Cold War was winding down by '85, no one was really concerned that Russia mm-hmm. would fire nukes at the U.S. and vice versa. Uh, it was more now on um, the rising powers that were previously Russian-backed in, in the Middle mm-hmm. East, and so. So so uh, when researching this one, um, so apparently the script for this movie had been around about six or seven years mm-hmm. before it was actually made, and like studios just kept passing on it. Right? So do you think when it was written, they, like, the enemy was, like, Cold War based? Like, do you think they had stolen stuff from the Russians? Probably Russians. Yeah. I mean, I think they probably didn't even flesh it. Because it probably wasn't a full script. It was probably, like, a a treatment or something. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Doc Brown steals some plutonium. It's probably all... All the line that was in there? to get in there. And then once it came time to actually write the screenplay... Mm -hmm. Then they, they went down and figured out, okay, well, who's he stealing this from? Yeah. I, I, I love the line, they found me, I don't know how they found me. Just to, like, write off, how would these Libyans find him? In, in a random mall parking lot yeah. in some town somewhere. Yeah, yes. like, I don't know how, but they found me. Cool. You've done <laughs> all the exposition. <laughs> they didn't try to, like, maybe they triangulated my... No, that's in 1985. They wouldn't have triangulated positions yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it just, it's just great. It's movie magic. Like, You're like, hey, have you seen the Doc Brown guy? And they're just like, oh, he's that way. Yeah. Doc Brown guy. But So it's brown guys attacking that Doc Brown Doc guy. Doc Brown guy, yeah. Yeah, that's my joke that popped into my head in the middle of saying that. <laughs> I'm okay. That's good. Yeah, is it? No, I mean, is it? Really. Exactly. So don't don't humor me, okay? Because <laughs> it'll just keep happening, and and then you just be like, just rolling your eyes. Your eyes will fall out of your head, and then you've got another issue. I'm dead, and it's all. <laughs> uh, also talking about nostalgia. I mean, like this movie is nostalgia, um, but watching it too as I mean, I was only five when this movie originally came out, which is okay. But I mean. I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, and I remember some of this technology, you know, and, like, his video camera that he pulls out, like, and he has on his shoulder, I'm like, that fits in your pocket now. I know. You know, you don't have to remind people to bring a video camera, you just have one on you. Things like the alarm clock or the, like, the clock radio, do people still have clock radios, or? I do. Do you? Yeah. Oh, no. still have clock radio. Just because, like, there's something nice about, I, but I'm a little old-fashioned, there's something nice about a device with a singular purpose. 
this. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I have an egg timer downstairs. Yeah. Because I can just turn the egg timer, and then it goes. Yeah. Right? Like, it does one thing, it does it really well. And it's the same thing with the clock radio. You know, I mean, I, could, I guess I could set my phone's alarm. Yeah. But, like, I'm so, it's so easy to pick it up and, like, swipe even in your sleep. Mm. Clock radio, you gotta actually, like, button mash on it. Yeah, you always yeah. forget, you're too tired to figure out what button actually snoozes it. Yeah, and so then it, it actually wakes you up. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I, you know, it is it is kind of a dated uh, reference because everyone used to have them. Mm-hmm. Or um, the telephone in the kitchen yep. um, of his house. You know, I was just like, oh, Landlines yeah. Landlines in general. That's true. I mean, people just don't have them anymore. And even if they have a quote-unquote landline, it's a cord, it's a cordless phone. Yeah. You know, they're still walking around their house and backyard and wherever they want with it. So it's it's still not the same sort of feel, you know, of the, of the time period. Like, you know, their cars didn't have... None of the cars they showed in it had, like, tape decks or anything in them. No. No, I mean... We didn't really get a close-up on a dash, though. Other That's than, true. Uh, the only time we got a really good shot of a car was in uh, 2 when Marty's doing the chase scene with Biff and his Ford. But his Ford is very specifically like a 1935 model Ford, so it wouldn't have a tape deck in yeah, it. Yeah, it just has the, the radio. Yeah. We talk about how Marty's like greatest ambition, his greatest dream, is to own that truck. Like, there is, there is no... He has no aspirations beyond mm. owning that truck. But I mean, no, he, like, at the beginning of the movies, his only aspiration is owning that truck. Because he is a teenager whose world is very small. Yes. Right? And he's, all I want is, like, I have a shitty life, but I can play guitar really well, and I want a cool truck to take my girlfriend to the lake with. Yeah. That's all he wants. But I think by the end of the movie... He gets his truck. He gets the truck. (laughs) He's driving it. He's got his girlfriend now. I think he's really happy about it but when he doesn't do that drag race it is clear he has bigger aspirations yeah more clear that he's at least learned that you know like it's it's a good metaphor for what happens with two and three where it's like it, it, the idea of someone's big weakness being is that's that someone calls you a chicken mm-hmm. and, it, and it's a familial genetic uh weakness Turn, yeah. his that goes back but he finally overcomes it because of uh what happens in three mm-hmm. that's pretty good like like you know just not not dueling with Buford yeah. is what helps him break the family curse. That mm-hmm. is what gets all of the McFlys in trouble, right? Yeah, right through history and always with Biff's family for some reason. Yeah. But one thing I also realized is that that town has a lot of staying power, okay? Yeah. The locations, the people, the families, everybody stays. That, that movie takes place in 130 years. Everybody's still there. Yeah. The places are all still there. What? Well, I mean, you can say that, like, because they're in California, right? Mm-hmm. And Frontier, like, California was the, was the heart of the uh, the Frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people settled there. So you can, you, can see how, you can see how it could go from 1800s to 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, except, this movie, like, seems to make the assumption that nobody was drafted or died in the war. That's also a thing, yeah. Right? Like, that these families all persisted without mm. any influence of both world wars, in, mm. in, you know, getting in the way. Um, and okay, assume that maybe they all got drafted and came back okay or something like that. That's fine. Like, the, the you know, his his grandparents and his parents, um, yeah, his grandparents would have been drafted and, and gone back all right. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Now, the brain drain or the attrition from the 1950s to the 1980s is when we started seeing a lot of that in the U.S., where people would leave their hometowns go to bigger cities, 
So, you know, capitalism was growing and growing. People mm-hmm. were going off to get educations. That was like the, the boomer generation growing up and leaving home. Yeah. These boomers did not leave home. <laughs> no, everybody stayed there and continued um, doing what they were doing. There's the one guy who apparently in the 18... 18- 50, uh, 1885 sold horses, but in the 1950s was cars, and 1985 was yeah. cars as well, and in the future it was upgrading, so there was that. And then, yeah, the family business is all staying exactly the same. It's same, so yeah. Weird. There's even the manure business, you yeah. know, was still there from 1885. Um, Biff Tannen, their family business was being a tool, apparently. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Gotta say that the, uh, the worst catchphrase of the series goes to Biff Tannen, but, where I hate manure. <laughs> that is the that is the the worst catchphrase. Um, mm. Yeah, three times. No, but wait, no. But do you also hear? Um, what is it? Bu- Buford Buford says it when he at the end when he falls into the. Oh yeah, no, he top. does. But the what the funny thing is is the sheriff shows up and he's like, "Get him out of that shit." Yeah, and I swear that's the only swear word in the whole series. No, they say shit a lot. Uh, Marty really? Marty says shit a whole bunch, and anytime they're about to hit the manure pile, they go, "Oh shit," and then they hit it. Do they actually say shit though? They do. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised. I was actually surprised at the sheer number of shits that are thrown out that are given in that movie. <laughs> so many shits given, yes. But I guess there was so much shit about. Yeah. So you know, so which is can... surprising to me because I'm like, why are there just random carts full of manure everywhere in this town? Yeah. Like, what? Well, in the fifties, maybe I get it, but like there weren't a lot of gardens. We didn't see any farms or gardens in the. No, there was just regular houses with lawns in the front. But yeah, and this big, but big even... old shit cart. Yeah, like it just didn't make much sense to me. No, no. But they just they just wanted an excuse for for Biff to eat shit. That's like really mm. you know. Well, I guess more it's power uh, to him. yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, so back to the future too. You know, we've talked about the eighties cafe. Uh, I also love that they just merge Ronald Reagan and Max Headroom into one thing. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 well. Like, <laughs> he did sing well a lot. Yes, he did. Uh, <laughs> but the, like the big elephant in the room is they explicit like even in in nineteen uh, is eighty eight or eighty seven was Back to the Future two or eighty nine. Uh, Back to the Future two was eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yes. So even in nineteen eighty nine, filmmakers were still dunking on Donald Trump. Because that was a le- legitimate, deliberate, conscious choice mm-hmm. to model Biff Tannen yeah. after Donald Trump. Yeah. And it's like, wow, nothing has changed. Yeah, I think I, I actually one of my notes was was that like, um, wait, I thought I made a note about this. Maybe I'm making stuff up. But yeah, like it really like one of the things that really bothered me about it is that it grossed me out how much it reminded me of Trump, and I was just like the big tower Ugh. with all the like the. Getting his mother to have fake tits. And, and like, yeah, having oh. like his name plastered on the thing and everything in his room was like gold. like leopard print and gold. It was just so disgustingly gaudy. Zemeckis has like, gone on record, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. as confirming that it was a dig at, at the Trump family. And yeah. Specifically, because in, in 89, by that point, Donald Trump was in all the New York um, like socialite magazines talking about how how rich he was and how stylish he was and all that stuff. So stylish is never a word I would have ever contributed to Donald no, Trump. No, nobody but he thinks he, he definitely thinks he is. Yeah, but how about? But that's a, I think that's one of the biggest fallacies about people being rich is that if you're rich and you can afford to buy all of the best things, that means you are cool and you're stylish and like what you do is the right thing. Just so no, which is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Because even you know most most fashions and styles 
actually come out of poor uh, and and poor and lower middle class economy like people and like mm-hmm. like and, and uh, regions and then they get co opted by the rich yes and get turned into something fucking stupid and ridiculous well right? like, like for example the trend right now to have like ripped jeans all the time yeah. that came from people literally not being able to repair their clothing yeah. and wore ripped jeans. Exactly. But now, oh, it's stylish and now I have to pay, you know, $300 for these pre-ripped pants. Or distressed distressed shoes. Oh god, distressed shoes. You can kiss my ass. I know. I'm sorry. It's like it's 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 so frustrating, but it's in a way as horrendous as it is to see that like the most people have known about the dangers of Putting some giving power to a man like Biff Tannen mm-hmm. since nineteen eighty nine, at least we've been at least like it's it's not a, a thing that took us by surprise. I don't know is that like a is that like a good thing or a bad thing? Like the fact that they were so prescient, like just bizarrely prescient. It's definitely not a good thing. No, um, it's a bad thing because it's no one's I mean, paying attention. Been, yeah. No, but we've been warned about it. We did it anyway. Yeah. They're like, don't do that. You're going to burn yourself. And yet you still stuck your hand on like the hot plate at the restaurant. And you're just like, I burnt myself. Yeah. No shit, Sherlock. Everyone yeah. is just too focused on the hoverboards to see the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Hovergate. Oh God, Hovergate, <laughs> you know. I mean, seriously, we were supposed to have flying cars, hoverboards, self-time shoes, Mr. Fusions, you know, which would be a great help to our society yeah. right now. Also, okay, okay, let's talk about Doc Brown as an inventor. So, by all accounts, until he invents the flux capacitor, he is not a fantastic inventor. No. Like, you know, his amps blow up, his, his like, breakfast machine's pretty good, but his psychic machine that he's inventing in the 50s doesn't work at no. all. And the only time the flux capacitor comes to him is because he falls in the bathroom, conks his head, mm-hmm. and it's the first thing that comes to mind when he up. Not because he has a scientific understanding of it, mm-hmm. but because, like, it just appears to him in a... Yeah, he just drew this picture. Dream. Yeah, um, yeah. So like, yeah, Doc Brown. He doesn't. He doesn't know what it is. He's like flux capacitor. This thing with this Y and lights in the middle, and it just and he, like literally his drawing has two pictures of like helps time travel. I think is what it yeah. says, and that's it. Like, and then and then he's able to actually engineer it from that. Like, mm-hmm. So either he's like a savant who just needs the kernel of the idea, mm-hmm. or or just a gaping plot hole. But I think, isn't he, like, the reference point for, like, um, uh, Farnsworth on Futurama? Yeah, and, and Rick from Rick and Marty. Oh, that's, yeah, that's very true. But, but like, Rick is, like, the opposite of that, because he's, like, super analytical and understands how everything works. Yeah, right? and then makes something for it. But yeah. but the thing is with, uh, with Farnsworth, though, is that he very much doesn't understand what he's doing but knows what he wants to do and gets it done. Because yeah. there's, a, there's a whole episode on it with the with his little clone or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's funny because, like, he's, he's... Also, he's got a gorgeous house in the 50s. Like, that mm. two-story, like, really nice, like... Like, oh, man, it makes me jealous about... Yeah. I wish, I wish we lived in an era where we could buy houses. <laughs> Spinning too much avocado um, and toast, I guess. I guess, yeah, very true. Those houses were so nice. What does Doc Brown actually do? I think he's from old money. So he's just like a... I think he's a trust fund kid. Mm-hmm. So just... that's how he can afford to make wacky inventions all day and like not go to work, not have a job. I think he, I think he inherited money. Inherited him, But that's a lot of money to inherit because he seems to be spending a lot of money yeah. to make the things he made. Yeah, and like even like the DeLorean. In 1985, the DMC DeLorean was a new car, like relatively new car. And 
uh, well, a couple years old, but you're still spending good money on that when you could have bought like a Pinto. Yeah, which right? is just a car you can still move around. An AMC so. Gremlin. You could you could have bought a Gremlin for mm-hmm. your uh, your crazy experience. But how easy it is it for them to get up to eighty eight miles per hour? Not really. Uh, and also, like even if they did, you'd probably need a lot, a much longer stretch of yeah. space to do that. Yeah, you need a car that can go from zero to sixty like that. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, no, he, I think he's got a lot of money. He must have been like, yeah, must have just been born into it, or mm-hmm. someone died and gave him a lot of money, or he's got like patents on something. Maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah. But the thing is, too, is like I find Doc Brown to be a very sad individual. Oh yeah. Yeah, because he's, he's obviously, like, you see him in 1955, he already lives by himself. Yeah. Everybody in town thinks he's weird yep. already. I mean, he is. And, yeah, I'm not saying he's not weird. <laughs> but that's he's, not, for he's, sure. not, he's not ostracization-worthy weird. Yeah, like, he's just like, hey, did you see that Doc Brown guy? Yeah, I know, right? That's it. They're not like, we gotta take you and lock you up somewhere. Yeah. Not yet, at least. Um, And then, like, he spends 30 years by himself, Um, somehow becomes really good friends with this 18 year old kid yeah and then they go on wacky adventures together yeah i know i'm looking at it in a whole new light now with uh bright light of all the fighting neverland stuff yeah neverland. i have not watched it i yet. haven't watched it yet i i can't from the stuff i've heard quite a few people at work have watched it and from what i've read it's pretty damning it's pretty da- it's not just damning it's just heartbreaking and yeah. disgusting and just ugh, it's just all horrible you know um, and I think that era of, uh, quote unquote, innocence is over, yeah. you know, where, I mean, there was a point in time where there was a lot of stuff where it was just like, it's old people and young people doing stuff together. Like look at shows like Punky Brewster. Yeah. She was a, she was a little girl who was orphaned. She makes friends with this old man and this old man adopts her. Yeah. It's very innocent. It's very nice. But you know, if you put a TV show like that on TV now, People will be less like, oh no, there's something wrong. Yeah, what's he's that guy do- doing? What, what is that guy doing? You know. Yeah. Whereas back then, there was like, no, it's he's he's an adult. He's trusted. He knows what's best for this child, and this child trusts him, so it has to be a good thing. Well, I think we've been burned enough times with like from from Catholic priests to mm. to abuses of power by people like like Michael Jackson and people we trust as a society. Mm-hmm. I think it's rightfully earned that we're all skeptical because. Like, who are you supposed to trust more than your local clergy? Who are you supposed to trust more with your kids than, like, you know, medical professionals and people and people who yeah. are in these positions of power to take advantage of them? So, mm-hmm. like, I get why everyone's skeptical and weirded out by it, because we've been proven time and again that humans aren't trustworthy, right? Yeah. Like, not all of well, them, not everybody, but yeah. the people who are in positions of power, enough of them have, like, defiled our trust. So as so as to have us not be trustworthy of any mm-hmm. like, trusting any of any of them. Yeah, and what, and the I think the saddest part about it too is that there are there have been quite a few cases where people put themselves in that position of power just to be able to abuse it as well. Oh, I, I think that's that's and, what it is, right? Like it's the idea of chameleons hiding in plain sight. You know, I'm like, oh, I can take it. I can abuse this power if I'm if I'm in a position where people trust me with that power, right? Yeah, yeah. And as you have all like as long as you have all the control. They're not going to say anything. They're not going to do anything. It's going to be fine. That's why I say, like, the person who sh- who wants to be head of state probably shouldn't be head of state. Yes. Yeah. Right? And that's also been proven in, well, I'm going to say proven in the most lax manner. <laughs> where, you know, you watch all those, like, those, like, movies where people, like, somebody's the man who would be king or, yeah. or something. Or I was even watching, like, Kung Fu Panda yesterday. Yeah, that's right. I watch cartoons on weekends. Yeah. Um, and, like, the whole point of it is, you know... Uh, the bad guy in it 
he wants to be the the dragon warrior and they're like no you're not the dragon warrior it's like but he can't understand why he can't be a dragon warrior whereas poe comes in he's like i mean he loves like the people that he's with he wants to be better but he doesn't necessarily he doesn't believe he's a dragon warrior and that's what makes him the dragon warrior you know because when he gets there he's not going to abuse his position he's not going to abuse his space he's worked hard for it captain america like it's 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 a trope that's permeated a lot of our not not even necessarily like sci-fi or fantasy culture but just you know even like political dramas and uh procedural tv shows and all that kind of stuff you just have you're like no the person who really like there's nothing wrong with working towards being something but if you're at the point where you believe you deserve to be there, you probably don't. Well, I mean, most of those just go back to all our um, all our myths and legends surrounding humility. Mm-hmm. You know, like almost all, if you go back to protocultures and like you know Babylonians, and you go back mm-hmm. to Sumerians and all that, they all have. Um, there's always a story about humility somewhere in there about yeah. you know not wanting, not lusting for power, but enjoying what you have, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and. We just reinterpreted that again and again and again, right? Like you look at the stories in the you know, the Greek myths, the Norse myths that also retell those tales of mm-hmm. like, and then we look at it in our modern myths, which are our televised dramas, which are our our comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, like we 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 venerate the characters who are humble, who are like Captain America is the definition of humility. Yes, right. Like he's always sacrificing himself to save others at no personal gain. Mm-hmm. And, and usually at a personal detriment, yes. uh, and that's what we look for. And we, we, we you know, story wise, we laud his heroism, but then in real life, we like support shitty people because it's it's so like obfuscated from us, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like I, I guess that kind of goes back to the whole idea of like, for example, when uh, Killer Clinton lost the election, like I was like, I don't understand this. They're like, oh, but she's just a politician. I'm like. But that's what makes her qualified for the job. She's worked and done everything to be a politician. Yeah. And this is, this is like, it's like moving up through a company, you know? She did, she was a lawyer. She was like, um, she was a congressman, right? Sure. Yeah, she was a congressman. Like, and she, and she moved, was a senator. Senator, she, she did the thing. So she's moving up through the company. The top level is being a president. And then you're just like, oh, you have experience doing all of the things. And now you want to be president of the company? But why? You're yeah. perfect for being a president. Why would we hire you? But I think maybe it has to go back to that sort of our idea of humility and stuff. You have to be humble to be there. But she never said, I deserve to be president. No. She said she's worked hard to be in that position. Well, I mean, with, with HRC, there's a lot of like internalized misogyny, societal misogyny, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, her lack, like her, her, her skills were without reproach but her lack of charisma mm-hmm. was was also like it's hard when you've got someone like bernie sanders and her and then you've got donald trump on the other side you've mm-hmm. got like just people throwing charisma bombs and saying like yeah. wacky shit and she's just being the level-headed measured person which is mm-hmm. what you want in an election no, but, but you know speaking about the misogyny like if you had a woman with the level of charisma as, you know, Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, where they're yelling things and they're angry and they're, you yeah. know, screaming things about their opponent, she would just be a hysterical woman. Well, and look how and, he is treating AOC you know, right now. Because AOC yeah. is, she, she is unafraid to just come out and be like, 
this is something that is happening. We can all observe it. It's stupid. Yes. And then the you know they're spinning her as a as fiery as as testy as yeah. you know like yeah it's it's, it's garbage. Mm-hmm. But or need... they or the other thing they do is they they relegate her to a fashion icon quote unquote yeah. and where they're like they don't even talk about what she's talking about. They're like oh what is she wearing today? Yeah, it's so reductive. And they're just like come on like seriously. Uh, they did it to Hillary and her thing too. They're like, oh, um, what panel was she on? But she wore this a, like a similar pantsuit to somebody else. They were both wearing blue suits or something. Yeah. They weren't the same. They just both happened to be blue. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, look at your fashion choices, blah, blah, blah. Yet every man that goes up there wears a black suit with a tie. Yeah. Nobody says a word about no, it. No, of course not. So. Yeah, it's it's... You know, but also that's still just focusing on the wrong thing. Like, I think they were talking about like women's rights and abortion and, you know, moving legislation forward. And like, it was a very big, very important issue. And this article I read only talked about what they were wearing. And then at the the bottom, it was like, uh, this was a summit for blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> what is well, and that's, wrong And that's the culpability of, of the new cycle that we live in now, which, you know, nobody could have predicted. That's one of the things thinking about Back to the Future. They predict the big stuff, like, oh, you know, there's, there's going to be more technology in the future, sure. Yes. But, the, like, the ramifications of what CNN started when it became the first 24-7 news channel is was unpredictable, and then the internet exacerbated it, mm-hmm. which is the idea that because news is a business, mm-hmm. you now have to crank out articles and headlines faster than ever, which means you get less editorial review, it means you get less fact-checking, Mm-hmm. And you get more sensationalist headlines to get people to click things, to get people to, to make money to fuel the cycle so that everyone can keep their jobs, which is mm-hmm. fine. I get that. But, like, the lack of in-depth reporting on these things can be attributed to the fact that people demand content every second of every day, mm-hmm. and nobody can keep up. And there's just this constant lack of oversight on that, right? There is. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest problems we have now with, like, the whole fake news epidemic. Yeah. That we're having and where it's like articles being filtered into news cycles that um, claim to be real news. And they're just, they're truthful enough that you might think this might be real. Yeah. But they're ridiculous enough for you to just question it, you know. And But it's so, it's become so hard to like what's real and what's fake. Especially because of the atmosphere of the world right now. Because there are so many actual ridiculous things happening that you're just like... Okay, maybe this is true. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I was reading an article that the people who get hired by Facebook to do fact verification mm-hmm. uh, are more likely to become radicalized by the conspiracy theories and facts that they read than other people because they're just constantly exposed to it. And mm. I think it's like, it's, there's a study um, at like Cambridge, like, psychology, like Department of Psychology, talking about how like, continual exposure to misinformation, even if you understand that that misinformation is false, will make you likelier to accept it to be true. Because yeah. because you're just if you see the same thing again and again and again, your brain goes like, well, this is obviously a fact, yeah. even if you can logically logic your way out of it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. yeah, it turns out like a lot of the fact checkers at Facebook become conspiracy theorists. Yeah, because they read about flat Earth and. But is it, it? But is that the reason why they become conspiracy theorists, or is it because you have so much access to information that you have the ability to? be able to connect dots where there really aren't any dots. That's probably but there there's too. there's like a layer that's available to you. You start right ch- yeah, you start seeing seeing connections that aren't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably quite a quite a huge part of it as well. Um what was it like 2 years ago, a year ago or something? Um 
there were actually you may have actually sent me this thing there was a website that did um abstract correlation between two things yeah 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 um and it was just fascinating there's just like um the death of the dinosaurs brought on the advancement of pez and you're just like what but it's true pez didn't exist before dinosaurs died yeah. so it was, it was the causality versus um uh correlation like calculator right like, yeah. yeah just because these two things have happened does not mean they are causal it means that they are correlatives. Like, yes, yes, you can correlate the death of the dinosaurs to the advent of Pez through multiple, multiple links, but you can't say that the death of the dinosaurs created Pez was the causation of, of Pez's creation. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, but, and that, the thing is that site came out because of some of the ridiculous things that people had started to say. And you're just like, but those two things don't actually go together. And they, one is not the cause of the other. They just happen to have happened. Yeah. At that time, you know? So, so to bring it back to Back to the Future 2 for a second, I was thinking about this last night. So Biff gets rich and he builds his Biff Tower and, mm -hmm. and you know, coerces Lorraine into marrying him and all that jazz. I get that. But, like, how can he rewrite laws? And how is why is there, like, a Mad Max post-apocalyptic escape from New York thing happening? In, also in, just in that city. Yeah, just in Hill Valley. It's mm -hmm. like, it's just... This is madness, and he he turned his own feudal state. Mm -hmm. Where's the National Guard? I mean, he, state but he did indicate that he has people in the government, and he has he he bought the police in the the yeah. in Hill Valley and stuff, and so maybe that's just one of the things. I don't know, or maybe yeah. I mean we didn't we didn't really see that much of Hill Valley. Like what we saw was a Lion Estates is decrepit and all that kind of stuff going downhill. Um, and then you saw Biff's tower. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Right. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, so maybe, you know, that kind of Mad Max feel was just, you know, the parking lot in Biff tower, you know, with all his minions hanging about. Burning barrels and shit. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like when you see, for example, you see, um, like, uh, Lions Estate, like I think of places like Detroit. Yeah. Like that happens. Like you have these big structures that are multi-million dollar companies beside, complete rundown like neighborhoods and everything and they are trying to buy people out they are trying to kick people out and they're they're trying to um you know force them to give up their land and stuff just so they can expand yeah so i mean i thought that was very i guess it was probably of the time as well like that was something that was going on at that time yeah well the boom um, and bust of the suburban communities right and that started in the in the late 40s early 50s after the war and mm -hmm. then like you know the 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 contrast of the dream of suburbia and then like you know what what would happen if that suburbia wasn't taken care of you know that's yeah yeah I, that was like an interest I, I loved alternate universe 1985 evil in 1985 as it were mm -hmm. um but i thought the movie got to its coolest point when marty goes back to the 50s oh agreed and oh very now good. has to work around footage of mm -hmm. him and uh, like and his family interacting and it it's just it created so many cool scenes so so before i get to that i just want to say like every time i watch back to the future 2 i always like oh back to the future 2 is about them being in 2015 which it always i always forget it's not no like they're only in 2015 for what 20 minutes half an hour yeah, or something like that it's the chase scene and like and, and Biff stealing the almanac, and yeah. that's really it. Like, and then they they go back, and then I, was, I like I was watching, I was like, oh yeah, they don't spend 
that much time in the future. Yeah. It's all about going back to, to 1955 again. And then, like you said, how amazing it is how they recreate and use some footage from the first movie and integrate into the story. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's so amazing. Wait, how, so, future, so Biff has been established as not being a very smart character. Mm-hmm. How does future Biff figure out how to use the DeLorean? That was one of my biggest questions, too. I'm like, he sat in that car, except for bumping into a couple of trash cans backing up. He figures how to get it to a certain place in time, find his younger version, give it to him, get back in time, park it exactly where it was before, and get away without anything. And he, like, he didn't know, that he had no knowledge that the car had to hit 88 miles an hour. Nope. Like, it, like all these limitations and restrictions, mm-hmm. he had no idea how to use. And also, when... Like, Doc and uh, Marty got back into the car. Wouldn't they have been like, hey, the dates are all changed. Yeah. What's going on? Or no, because the date would be back to when they showed up. Right? Because he took the date, sent it back to the, he sent it back to the future. Mm-hmm. This future Biff came back. So the date would have been... Well, the dates would have been the same, wouldn't yeah. they? Yeah. Okay, no well, they would have noticed that their mirrors were adjusted or their seats were adjusted. Adjusted something. Biff probably came in and fucked up with the steering wheel, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Which I, I just thought that was just so weird. I'm like, how is he so... Yeah. Like, it's Confident. not like a regular car where you just kind of sit in it and shift and you go. You gotta do some very specific And he was things. just bizarrely competent for Biff Tannen. Yes. But is that age, though? Is that age and also, like, maybe he knows this is his one chance to fix his life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do kind of feel sad for Biff, too. But they never actually really get into why Biff is such a dick. He's just a dick. Yeah, they, they kind of t- like they, they 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 look like they're going to when they deal with him. Like they show it at the show's house. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, they're gonna talk about his home life. No. Yeah. Also, Griff, what a dumb name. <laughs> That's like when I, when I found out recently because I don't I, I'm not an anime guy, but when I found out that there's a legitimate sequel to Naruto about his son named Boruto, and all I could think of was Seriously? board license plates. Oh my god, why Boruto? Yeah, like, seriously. So like Griff Tannen is like Boruto, yeah. like. His name doesn't have to rhyme with Biff. You just use the name Tannen. Yeah, it's like it's Steve Tannen. We get it. We yeah. exact. We know exactly who you are now. Yeah. It's it's fine. But also, Griff Tannen is the worst bad guy ever. Yeah, he just, he has no, he, there's nothing compelling about him. No, there's nothing interesting. There's nothing. They they talk about him having like uh, that that plate on his head is actually like some sort of bionic something or other and yeah. then he's got like a bat that gets bigger for no reason and he just starts yelling at people yeah i, I don't, don't understand, understand it yeah it's too it's, I, I guess they're like in the future we'll all be idiots who mm. this will be the purge yeah we'll have weird bionic things yeah. us. so then yes yeah, so and they go back and they, you know, they go back to the 50s and that's it's some cool scene one thing that gets me though so like dog brown is so fucking egotistical that at the end he starts talking to himself while he's walking up the street Mm-hmm. Having a conversation with himself, looking away, and about the weather and about the experiment. You don't think that past Doc Brown wouldn't recognize his own goddamn voice? Yeah. Christopher Lloyd has a very distinct voice. He does have a very distinct voice. It's, it's not like a, you know, I can't even think, what's a normal? But no, like, no matter how uh, distinct or quote-unquote normal your voice is, you will distinct your, like, be able to pick out your own voice. Exactly. From everybody else. And, and what, you're gonna, like look this way while walking down the street and never once turn your head to look at the person addressing you. Yeah. I'd like, that'd be my first few, like, this guy's doing something wrong. What's happening? And also about that, I don't understand at the end of the movie, not the second, well, no, second one slash beginning of the third one, 
where so marty shows back up right as the delorean goes to the future yeah sign right and he's like no i came back from the future now and doc cannot believe that he's like no this is impossible i'm like you just sent a time machine through time yeah why isn't it impossible for him to come back you're like cheering at the success of your yeah they're like well future boy it's like well who else would he be exactly Especially because you just saw Marty. You know it's Marty. Yeah. Yeah. You know exactly who he is. You you just used a time machine, so why isn't it conceivable that it could have come back? Yeah. Also, to pick more nits, so when he recruits 50s Doc to dig and find the DeLorean that like was left and repair it, mm-hmm. right? Why wouldn't he leave instructions to like bring a spare gas can? Because he doesn't know about that yet. Because remember they went to 1885 the day after right 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 he but, wrote the letter but like if you know that the thing can only run on ethanol to get it, like to get it up to, mm. to speed right you think you'd just ask him to pack an extra gas can anyways if you don't know what the, the tank levels are yeah i don't know i mean maybe that's maybe that's but just... also my other question too is like but why wouldn't marty know that because they've been driving the car around so wouldn't they have to fuel up a couple of times? yeah yeah yeah. wouldn't they have to like go like like yeah go to, some like, gas a, a fucking so and gas up you yeah know, like so yeah there's a lot of questions about that part i, I didn't i didn't really get it yeah um and also speaking of, of going back to 1885 I don't understand why his great great grandparents looked ex- both of them looked like his mother. And yeah, yeah. Him. It's 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 Millhouse syndrome. Why yeah. do Millhouse's parents both look like Millhouse? <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. Oh, not a dog. It's me, McFly. Yeah. My, my terrible Irish accent. Oh my god, it was so bad. <laughs> Little Diddy, like it's very. <laughs> <laughs> well, he got his accent from Lucky Charms commercials. That's all it's he true. needs. Practice in front of the mirror all the time. And, oh, the brother, Martin McFly, always getting into trouble because people call him chicken. chicken. Yeah. Which I don't understand. Like, I mean, we've mentioned this already, but was that an actual thing that Marty had in the first movie that somebody called him chicken and he lost it? Ye- yes. Oh, was that in the second one? No, there's a, there's a chicken encounter in uh, in the first one. Was it, is it in the like the soda shop? It is. It's when he gets into the, like that's when the cha- that's what like precipitates the chase scene. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But you know, it's what a weird character trait. I just mm-hmm. don't. I don't. I don't get it. I think the thing is, is they don't focus on it on the first one. Is it only happens once in the first one? Yeah. But in the second and third movie, they do it over and over and over and over again. Like yeah. it's like constantly going back to it, referencing it. And I know it ends up being like a relatively big part of this the second two movies. But at the same time, like you're like, no, yeah. not really. We get it. Fine. That's okay. Can we talk about Western Union for a second? Yes. Okay. So, bear with me now. <laughs> You're a Western Union employee in 1885. Mm-hmm. Someone comes up to you and says, Hi, I need you to deliver a letter in 70 years. Wait, it's 50 years, right? No, it's 70 no, it's years. 70, 70 years. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 70 years. On this exact date, this exact minute, at this mm. location, which might not exist yet, like, how is he? How is he specifying that exact? Like that? No, road? he would never. He would never. That did not exist at all. Yeah. Yet. yeah. So, anyway, be it this like this many paces from this nearest thing, mm-hmm. north northeast, whatever. At this exact second, you'll meet a man named Marty McFly, and he looks like this. Give him this letter. Mm-hmm. 
I, the clerk person at Western Union, would have been like, sir, that's not an address. Yeah. Can you please fill out this form correctly? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know how anyone would accept that, let alone store it for 70 years mm. and then deliver it. Yeah. And especially people have a bet. It's, it's obviously known this letter exists. Yeah. And people at Western Union have bets on if this person's going to be real or not. Yeah. But at the same time, wouldn't like it doesn't this is not like a time of like GPS and stuff. People don't just walk around with like with a with a like locate like GPS systems yeah. to locate like the exact coordinates you're supposed to be at. So he would have to describe the thing at um, Lions Gate where the construction is and you'll see a kid and it's raining that day and you'll see a kid standing yeah. in the streets because the street doesn't exist. What the what the hell is a Lions Gate thing? There are no roads. Yeah. What are you talking about? I agree with you. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. It, yeah. It's, it's just that that's I mean, that's where you're just spending this. It's a cool concept. It's a cool idea that he left a note to be delivered, but mm-hmm. like he could have done that he could have buried it like he did with the DeLorean, but then I guess it wouldn't have been found. found. Yeah. But also does that mean that there are two DeLoreans in that time period? Yes. So, there have to be, right? Because No, no no no, no they're not, because the other DeLorean was sent back, right? Doc Brown sent Marty back to 1955, they just have to put some gas in it. Paradox. Okay, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> you're, right. you're right. There like, are two DeLoreans, and that is causality. Like, that is a problem. There's a problem of reality right there. Yes. Uh, but that's also in 1955, there's a point where there are four DeLoreans in 1955. Yes. Which also creates a problem with Doc's theory about how the time travel works because it doesn't actually make any sense. Yeah. He's saying. Because the problem is, is he's saying that, so Biff, old Biff goes back to 1955, gives young Biff the almanac. Fine. Time splits. Time splits there. Yeah. But the problem is, old Biff comes back to the timeline where nothing, where that didn't happen. Yes. I don't think he could do that. He could not do that. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, so that's why that whole thing doesn't make any sense. Because three seconds later, they start talking about the splitting of time and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, but that goes against what Biff just did. Yeah, because Biff would go back to a future where, well, also, Biff would erase his current future. Like, he would he would find himself not wearing yeah. those ra- raggy clothes because he has now made... No, no, no. He would not... No, he would still find himself wearing those raggy clothes because that is contained in the time machine. Right, right, yeah. But when he got back... He would have been rich, crazy Biff with the big yeah. tower, not going back to poor Biff reality yeah. and getting Doc Brown the car back because they'd come back out and the car would just be gone. And Doc Brown would be in a mental hospital in that future. Or somebody would have, yes. And yes. he's probably really old. He's probably dead. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Marty would have been a completely different character at a boarding school. Like that future, the dark, the future of, of evil 1985 is not one that. 
Marty and Doc could exist in as they as they are now. Exactly. That is very true, right? So they would have so much more stuff would have changed compared to just the title on their newspaper that they're running around yeah. with all the time. I like, but if you're there and things are actively changing, as soon as Biff got into that car, you are not within the time machine. Yeah. So all of a sudden, they'd like their clothes would change. They'd be in different places. Yeah. Stuff would start moving around, and they'd be like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" You know. Yeah. Because that's what happened in the first movie. Because as soon as the timeline showed that he would not be born, also sorry. Okay. Yeah. That also brings back another question. In the picture, wouldn't Marty, since he's the youngest, start disappearing first? Yes. So, okay. So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure. That's all. Yeah. Um, but, like, with that first movie, as you could see, the future or the change of the future immediately affects him if he's not within the time machine. Yeah. So, they everything around, like, they would have just gone poof, something completely different, and they everything would have been, like, yeah. nothing else would have been able to happen. Yeah, I mean, they basically would have, they would have won, and the movie would have ended there. Yes. Right? Because that's, if they're following their own internal rules and logic, but... Mm. I think they realized, fuck, we can't do that. Of course not. Because <laughs> you're just like, oh, Biff took the car. Credits roll. Yeah. It's over. They're like, what's going on? That, that'd be it. Yeah. Yeah. Then we'd have to find an alternate reality where somebody didn't do that. And then maybe this is the reality we're in right now. We don't know. In a way, because Doc Brown went back in time, like Doc Brown and Marty were able to go back in time and stop Biff. There's never a universe where Biff could succeed because they'd always just keep going. Like, you got a loop now. Where- you got a loop, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where like even if they went like they decided to wait two years before going back in time, we could still fix it, right? Like mm-hmm. or they fucked up. Well, the future versions of them already still exist, right? Like there's actually no. If you think about the way the physics actually work in their storytelling, rather than how they tell you they work, mm-hmm. there's no timeline in which they fail to stop Biff. Exactly, because everything would be a loop. Because every every timeline they're in, for some reason, they still get access to the time machine and stop Biff. Yeah. So no matter how many times that timeline splinters. It gets remedied. Yeah, and the and, and there's also the, the MacGuffin that the doc can just build a time machine whenever. Yes. So, speaking of which, <laughs> how did he build a train? So, okay. He built a train that runs entirely on steam that can fly and time travel. Yeah. I don't ask him. I don't know. Like, he needed, he, needed wait, Libyan, but, he needed Libyans to build his first one. Wait, but does... But I'm a, like the whole flying train thing. I assumed he built the train on tracks and then went to the future, got upgraded to flying. Oh, oh yeah, or we just took stuff off the DeLorean because we already established that there's a, a DeLorean in the 1800s. Yeah, but he can't take that DeLorean. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. He you can't because otherwise, the... exactly. So, so yeah, I guess that he... DeLorean has to stay bare no matter what. But the biggest thing is like, how, how is he getting enough power to, to to like the one point you know one point twenty one gigawatts? Yeah. In, in 1885. That is a very good question. Lightning? Maybe more lightning? Maybe more lightning, yeah. Like, you know, he did uh, full-on Frankenstein, the the train on top of the thing. It was like, <laughs> and it just zaps into the future at some yeah. point. Yeah. I mean... It's got to be going 88 miles an hour first. Oh, that's right. No, powers. no, because in the second movie, when the one gets hit by lightning, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's hovering still in the air. Oh, yeah. It just goes zoop. Yeah, how is that even possible? Well, because he says it activated the flux capacitor and did something to the, the thingy things, and then there's no internal consistency <laughs> in this movie. 
Uh, I actually never understood why it had to go ADA because really the the crux of it was having enough power yeah. to activate the fuck's capacitor. So why did it have to be going fast? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like if you're stationary, like there's danger to the occupants or I don't know. I just think the line, they, they wanted to have that line. When, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious <laughs> shit. Yeah, there's your first shit in the movie right there, too. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, why did it? It's I, all over the place. It is all over the place. Now I rethink about it. I don't know. Like, maybe it's because, uh, well, I was watching this third movie when you showed up to record this. And maybe it's because I was sitting there tentatively watching it. And, like, and the, also the way the guy says it in it, like in the movie, he's like, get him out of this shit. Yeah. You know, like, it's just so emphasized. Compared to everywhere else, it's kind of like a oh, holy shit, or or like you said, like there's gonna be some real shit, and like and it just goes. I think they like, family friendly up the third one a little bit more. Yes, it was actually a lot more, but not comical, goofy. He was a lot goofier. Like, it was a lot goofier. Yes. I'm Clint Eastwood. How is Marty able to like shoot so well at the gallery, like? Uh, because remember, they make reference in every single movie that he played that gun shooting game. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so, shooting a real gun is hard. Uh, I've never shot one, so I can't... Especially, you know, but, especially guns like back then that would have a huge amount of kickback. Recoil. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the, the thing. But according to them, there was no recoil in that one in yeah. 1985. It was, it was just fine. Yeah. But also, even a baby could shoot that gun. I don't know why a baby would want to shoot a gun, unless you're Stewie, but... It happens in the U.S. all the time. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's another really dark topic that I don't want to get into. Yeah. But yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, like, if you sit there and you analyze the movie, there's issues. Man, Doc's a lightweight, too. One shot of whiskey, and he's just he's out. out. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I want the recipe to that wake-up juice, though. <laughs> so torturous. It sounds torturous, but man, you know, there's been days where I have a hangover, and I'm like... I just mm-hmm. want this to go away. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like Sailor Man. That. Like, yeah. You got well. You got to wait ten minutes. So ten minutes before you got to do anything. Yeah. You'll be good to go. Yeah. Um. I mean, like, people have always sworn by different, like, uh, like hangover recipes and all that kind They're of. They're almost stuff. always gross. You notice that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I think it's be they have to be gross because they need to be a shock to the system, mm-hmm. and that's what actually wakes you up. It's your system like waking up to fight what you've just done to it it's like we just we just spent the night poisoning ourselves okay and we need to recover from this poison yeah i know i'll eat some raw eggs and some tabasco sauce and like <laughs> chili or whatever and yeah it's like and your, your system's just like what what have you done don't you what and so then you're awake yeah done you know you might be puking all day but yeah. you're fine i never understood the whole raw egg thing like it's disgusting what, what? Just, just take a few minutes and cook the, you know, like cook it. Yeah, just to shh, Or like, like even done. throw in some boiling water, make a boiled egg. Like it's not hard. Yeah. Just don't, you don't need to eat it raw. No. What are you, Rocky? <laughs> Which is even worse. That scene where he's like, what is eight in a cup? Uh, it's whatever. three, three in a cup. It's three. One, two, three. Maybe, maybe it was like some sort of like parody of that. But w- the one thing I watched, they, they had like eight or twelve or something oh. in a cup, and they just drank it, and I was just like, I can't. No, I can't even watch you. Yeah, that's just it's it's hard. I, I can't. I can't. No. 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 I don't. Ugh. No. But my favorite hangover recipe is um, where people say, no, you just have to go get in some greasy food and you're good. Yeah. I'm like, okay. That was good. And also, I I swear by vitamin uh, vitamin B6. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, like, so I was reading about what causes, what cause, like, what are the many different causes of hangovers? And it's actually just multiple different things all compounded, right? Yeah. Dehydration, 
um, your liver is breaking, uh, your, eth- your the ethanol you drank down into acetyl ethanol, which is a uh, poison in high doses, mm-hmm. um, and all, all these various other things. And one of them is uh, a depletion of vitamin D, uh, vitamin D six, and that's what causes like when you're crazy, like at the far end of the spectrum, de- like delirium tremens, the handshakes, yeah. and all that. That's from a, a, a depletion of vitamin D. So, but what would cause the depletion of vitamin D? Your liver. Like, it, oh, just, oh, the just, liver yeah, just going working overtime. Yeah, yeah. So I um I've started if I if I know I'm going to be out on a heavy night of drinking somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll pop a B six beforehand, um, and then one before I go to bed, mm-hmm. and it it does lessen it. And I, there is a study that says that like if you do it like that, it's it lessens the effects of some hangovers. But I mean, at the end of the day, the easiest hangover cure is to not get shit face, but no, it's called hair of the dog. What are yeah, you talking that about? is true. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always hair of the dog. Um, oh. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get some of your drinks. So. Yeah, oh, that you a, I'll grab you a beer. Oh, thank you. Oh, fuck, this, these movies are so fun to talk about because they're just the internal consistency does not exist. No, it doesn't exist. But they did it in such a way that it's just. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because it's so fun. Thank you. Like it's so fun. Who cares if. Like Biff doesn't make any sense, you know. Mm. Like a robot pouring for you in there? No, it's a it's a what a Brita. Oh, you're Brita. Oh. Yeah. It's a, like a Brita with a self-latching latch. <laughs> I'm not that. You got a fridge robot. One day. Which is Back to the Future too. One day. Also, one thing I noticed about that, um, like the future. Why did the cops dress like they were strippers or? Yeah. Or sort of like like they were the outfits from um. Oh god, I'm gonna blank. The Sylvester Stallone movie, Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd, yeah. You know, <laughs> they, they look really weird, but I guess Future Cops. I don't know. Or maybe they got. You remember that? Um, you said Future Cops, so that uh, triggers something in my brain. Remember the the like the TV show, the Cartoon Cops. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah COPS. Yes. Fighting crime in the future. Future time. Yeah. Uh, th- they actually kind of remind me of that. Now that I think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was long arm and. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I remember loving that show. It was one of the, like, the, like, get home after school, it came on, and I had to sit there and watch every single episode. Yep. But it angers me that I remember very, actually very little about the show. I mean, it was pretty unremarkable, narratively speaking. Like, nothing, nothing crazy important happened. The characters were, like, they were cool, but not, not, like, extra cool. You Mm -hmm. know, like, it was just a fun show. I more have a fondness for Mask. Oh, I remember Mask. Just because yes. that theme song. It's fucking great. <laughs> I don't know. I still to this day insist the best theme song ever made is the original Thundercats theme song. Oh, it's great. Thundercats it is, is like... It's a combination of the lyrics, which are... It's just super cheesy and everything, but it gets like that fire and power inside you you know and then that music just kind of hits and you're just like yeah the lion roar at the beginning thundercats are on the move thundercats are loose like, like and like and even this the, the chorus which is just the word thunder 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 cats yeah but it's it's good it's, it's, it feels powerful it feels like it's the, it's the chorus the choir yeah. of people doing it like it gets you into yeah. it yeah i was going to say like, the, the original transformers theme is still also one of, i think one of the best um Obviously, the way it was done uh, for the first rendition of the cartoon it was kind of like, like poorly recorded and scratchy and kind of like weird and airy. Yeah. But when they re-recorded it for um, uh, the movie mm-hmm. animated film, just it just solidified that composition. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a, it's a great, great song. Um, like, I'm, I'm not saying, like, I think a lot of, um, like, kid shows and stuff like that now have, they have good theme songs. I'm not yeah. saying they're bad theme songs. I, I think one of my biggest problems is they don't put as much focus on the theme song to, like, get you into, like, the vibe of the show. I find that a lot of the theme songs don't really match the vibe of the well, show. Even, even so in the 80s and early 90s, cartoons, the theme songs would actually be worked into motifs in the actual soundtrack of the episode mm-hmm. so like you hear a variant on the, the thundercats theme as part of the orchestral score of an episode yes and it kind of solidified as being in the universe but you don't really do that now like the intros for for cartoons nowadays are just very wholly different from what the episodes sound like yes and also except I feel for like, um gravity falls except for, except for gravity falls yes. they do a good job of being old school like yeah i think we've seen we're kind of witnessing the death of the intro theme in general like yes. Netflix's skip intro button, and like, mm-hmm. which I think is a travesty. I, I love, well, uh, yeah. I love I, a good intro. Well, I think they put that in there simply because people they binge watch. They yeah. don't they don't need to hear you know the same theme song twelve times in in like six hours. Maybe if it was an amazing theme song, they would. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, while I was watching uh, when I did the episode for Arrested Development. I watched the theme song, like, the beginning every single time. And I know it was in the DVD, and I know I was just, you know, play all episodes, but that theme song came on every single time, and I loved it. I just, the, I, like, sometimes the artistry of the intro, like, like the art of the title, as it were, mm-hmm. um, the the Dexter intro. Yes. Like, that, just the, the, the whimsical theme song that that, that show had with, like, the beautiful juxtaposition of him getting ready for his day and making each thing look like a murder. Yeah. It was just, just gorgeous to watch. It was always nice to listen to. So, yeah. 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 And it's true. Like, things like that are... Or like Batman really the Animated scary. Series. Oh, don't even get me started on that like, one. Like, that intro is just... Yeah. It's pure art on yeah. every level. Visually, audibly. And the composer, she, t- she took the Danny Elfman score as a root and then ran with it and did her own thing and made mm-hmm. it even better. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those... Those things. I mean, you, well, speaking of like title cards, I found the title cards for these movies to be quite lacking. Yeah. To tell you the truth. Like, especially that first movie, it's like, um. Just to zoom in. Yeah. And then they just had the, they, like, the title card for the show was just Flack, Back to the Future, off. That was it. Done. And All, then, but the, like, the zoom in was until the second movie. Yeah, also till the end, at the end of Back to the Future 2, you have the weird worded choice of, to be concluded, yes. not to be continued. Mm-hmm. Very odd, odd choice. I don't think it's odd. I think they did it purposefully because they were just like, no, it's three. Yeah, it's done. We're not doing because if it was saying to be continued, we'd have this problem that we have with like Terminator right now, yeah. where they're just like, let's throw in a whole bunch of other crap over here to fill in stuff that nobody asked you to fill in. Boom. True. True. You know? uh, speaking of score, the Ellen Silvestri score for Back to the Future is super iconic. Yes, like, yeah, we, we, we talked, obviously, about Huey Lewis, but you can't really talk about Back to the Future without talking about the, the, the audio da, stings. Da, da, yeah. yeah. And, like, that, and the main theme, like, that... Like, it's very nice and heroic. It's reminiscent of, of a Western. Mm-hmm. Um, it's done in that in that almost John Williams style. Yeah, um, actually, I actually had to look up who did the score for this because I thought it was John Williams you know, at first. Alan Silvestri yeah. had this, had this bit, bit, like period where he was doing a lot of Williams-esque stuff because that's what was popular right yeah. like you know you can you can thank indiana jones for for that solidification yes but that, the all the little stuff like again the, like the, like the, the stings 
and the audio, like the musical audio cues were just so important to that film. Yes. And also yes. game like, like to bring it back mm. to your very first point, it's very gamey. We're mm. like, you know, when when Link gets a chest and it's like da 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 that's exactly how it kinda of felt with Back to the Future. You knew something tiny or weird was up when yeah. you heard the chimes. Or like uh there was uh unraveling of something or like as, as you said, a chest, like something was found, then yeah. there, the sting happened, yeah. you know? Yeah, it was it was really very and the thing is too is like they're not intrusive sounds either. They're not like something that will make you all of a sudden just like notice it. But at the same time they're important enough that if it was missing, there would definitely be something yeah. you wouldn't pick up on certain things with it. That that cue was there. And I feel like that's kind of um obviously Sylvester was involved in making sure that sound went great and worked, but I think that's kind of a a thing of Bob Zemeckis. Like, mm-hmm. if you know, even if you watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that also kind of feels very like game like in the way it plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just like I think he's just very whimsical, and he, I think he just likes he, is. he yeah. likes stories that are that reward the the viewer for paying attention. And 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 that's the thing with the series too is that if you are paying attention, you are rewarded through the second and the third movie. Yeah. Especially the second movie if you pay good attention to that first movie, you know? And the way the scenes are... Like, for example, the scene where they're they're back at the, the dance, the enchantment of the sea dance. Mm-hmm. And you have, you know, the second 1985 Marty McFly. Um, we'll call him Fedora, Marty McFly. Yeah. He's in, like, the rafters and Biff's, like, Goons. cronies are at the side. Was it, beside that, was it like, a 1950s style to wear 3D glasses? One of his cronies is always wearing like three D glass, like anaglyphic red blue three D glasses. But he does that through all of them. I and know. every time you see him, he's wearing it. Um, but I think three D movies were becoming a thing at that point yeah. in time. Um, because I remember one of the uh, there was a movie called Matinee. You ever seen that movie? No. Great little movie, and it's 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 about this guy who owned this movie theater in the the nineteen fifties and stuff. And, um, like, and it showed 3D movies, but he wanted, it was one of the first, like, 4D experiences, right. you know? So, like, he'd have, or whatever. yeah, he'd have, like, big fans would come on, or, or there'd be, uh, like, he'd watch a movie, and, like, one of them was, like, them, or something with rats in it. Oh, no, not, them is ants. No, there's one with rats. But there's a scene, for example, where, like, there's a horde of rats running towards the screen. And he did, like, a thing under the, the seats, so it'd start to go like this. Oh. You know, so, like, people would feel it and they'd freak out, like, oh, that kind cool. of thing. Um, and so I think maybe that is a reference to the craze of, like, that time. Because it was, like, a like now, where 3D is, has come back in the worst way possible. Yeah. But that was, like, the first experience with, like, 3D and all that kind of stuff. So he maybe thought he was cool. Yeah, it probably probably is the the actual answer there. But it's funny whenever you see him, he's always wearing three D glasses. Yeah, so. yeah, which I I didn't actually pick up until halfway through the second movie. Yeah, because I like I saw him as the future crony, and he was wearing the glasses with one blue and one yeah. red, and I was just like, what? And then when you go back, when he goes and then back, he goes back, yeah. then he has the the other one. Um, and the funny thing is, is his look in the future reminded me of. Trans, trans, oh, Transmetropolitan? Yes, Transmetropolitan. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He reminded me of that guy. Yeah, yeah. Even though Transmetropolitan came way after. Oh, for but, sure. Or maybe that's what it was kind of based on. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm guessing out there. That's yes. pretty cool. But yeah, so you're talking about Future Marty crawling through the rafters and mm-hmm. like dropping sandbags on these goons. First of all, Marty could have killed these kids. Yes, he may have. We yeah. don't know. Well, 
Was we he? Kind of know. Well, yeah. we don't. Yeah, we don't know if they're dead or not. We kind of don't really get an update on them. But I guess the future would be different if they killed them. Yes. But who would have been blamed for the death is the real question. Because there was no fingerprinting at the time, so they couldn't have framed Marty. Plus, he was already on stage. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's the 1950s. There were the African-American performers. The band <laughs> would be blamed on the death of that kid. And Yeah. 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 You know, that's sad, but it's true. Wait, did... did but um, reefer. Oh, they yeah. were probably smoking. Get arrested and stuff. Surprised the cops don't call them in the first place. But also... Did Chuck Berry have a brother? No. Or is this just like a complete random No, it's just a great joke. It's a, it's a great g- stupid joke. <laughs> I mean, maybe he did have a brother, but I guess it's not Marvin Berry. Yeah. But what's funny about it is they actually credit Marvin Berry and whatever the band's name in the credits. Oh, really? Yeah, like the music credits at that's the end. That's funny. Like performed by Marvin Berry and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, that's fun. So that's cool. I like that. I also like that we're supposed to buy that Michael J. Fox... Is singing Johnny Be Good. It sounds so bad. It looks so bad. Like it's like it's so poorly dubbed, mm-hmm. and like the guy's obviously not like Michael J. Fox in any way, shape, or form vocally. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it just it just doesn't match. Uh, but what I did find out is all the scenes where he's playing the guitar is actually Michael J. Fox. Oh, good. He worked with a choreographer and actually like worked with um, what's the name of the musician? Uh, he actually was one of the guys in the mu- like in his band at the beginning. He's like a, oh my god, I really should look Sammy it up. Sammy Hagar. It wasn't Sammy Hagar, but uh, like. Well, he- Back to the Future Two opens with Sammy Hagar. It does. Oh my god, who was it? I, I there's literally no way for me to like there is a way for me to find, but I don't, just don't know what to actually look up if I look it up. But yeah, he worked with this guy who's a mu- musician. Who taught him like how to like what yeah. it, the how to play it and everything? He learned how to play it so that they wouldn't have to have like a double. Yeah, yeah. Because that would double. make that scene ten times harder. Because you to, need to you see. need to clearly see that it's Marty McFly on that stage, mm-hmm. especially when he's looking over at George and Lorraine, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, so he actually learned how to play all these things and, cool. and whatever for that scene. But yeah, the vocal otherwise, no. Yeah. No, as soon as he starts singing, I'm like, no, nobody. What? Who picked this person? Well, to, he, well I, think it was, I think it was just the original recording. Mm-hmm. Was like, it? it? It sounded like it. No, I don't think it was. Uh, but if it was, oh my god. Yeah. Seriously, come on, guys. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting that he actually like went out there and learned how to do things. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always respected Michael J. Fox. I think he's a, a very hardworking actor. Mm-hmm. Like, and he was always good in everything. Like, even, even as Alex P. Keaton in Family Ties, yes. like, oh man, what a character that hasn't aged well in terms of what people look at as like a, a heroic male lead. Yeah, a capitalistic, like, <laughs> rich, yeah. aspiring rich person. Uh, what's well speaking about that like one thing I learned about it is that he actually made the first movie while filming for Family Ties at the yeah. same time and he would be on set all day doing Family Ties be in a car for like two hours film Back to the Future and be back on set the next morning Whoa. and I was like how did he even manage to be awake cocaine <laughs> Jesus. actually there's an episode of Family Ties where Alex uh, tries speed to try and you know, do mm-hmm. more do more homework than he possibly could and study yeah. more. And it's like, only only in the fucking 80s would, like, you have a character who is doing drugs so that he can be better at school. 
Um, didn't they do that in Saved by the Bell as well? They did, mm-hmm. and then they did that, and then they did it in Fresh Prince as well. Oh my god, yes, they well, did. Well, it, it was a twist on it, because Carlton, they thought Carlton was doing speed, but mm-hmm. and like, and then, but like he was holding something for a friend of Will's, and like, yeah. there was like a, 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 a snafu, but they, mm-hmm. that, they, it was always the... Doing speed in school. Cool. Yeah. They're just like, no, I'm going to do better in school. Let's get some drugs. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, is, is it really that much different than getting your kid hopped up on like Adderall and stuff? It is so not. they can, you know. People recreationally do Adderall and it's like, it's, it's just it's just a type of like uh, stimulant. Stimulant. Yeah, exactly. Like Ritalin too and all that shit, right? Like, mm. there's no difference. Just a matter of who's controlling the, the dosage, I guess. It, yeah, well, exactly, right? Well, that's really just the difference between an illegal drug and a, you know, an yeah. a, a drug that a doctor gives you. Yeah. I mean, heroin doses. Heroin used to be prescribed by medical professionals. And so did cocaine. And so did cocaine. Yeah. Exactly. Manufactured by Bayer. Yeah. They created it. And now we're on Tylenol. So we'll see where Tylenol happens. Well, fentanyl, fentanyl is the next fentanyl. thing that was created to be a replacement for heroin. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be less addictive. But it was, like, more powerful. Yeah. It's, it's less addictive, but it's more powerful. Is it... Or is it, um, oh, my brain, never mind. My brain is telling me. The point is, there's always a very special episode of your, of your favorite uh, sitcom <laughs> that has addresses the, the drug use issue. It's not just sitcom, it was cartoons and yeah. everything. Well, because they had the, well, Reagan, you know, it was Reagan's yeah. thing, is you, you had to have PSAs. Yeah. Well, wasn't that a Nancy Reagan? Nancy thing? Reagan. Yeah. Um, yeah, because she was all like the uh, say no to drugs, and she's the one who's who got him to do the whole war on drugs thing, and so all the kids needed to know about the stuff, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, ruined our society by making it better. Well, I mean, the war on drugs has killed more people than it saved, right? That is very true. That's the um, and incarcerated more people than you should have ever been incarcerated. Well, one of the things that um. That has come up out of this whole fentanyl um, and opioid epidemic that's happening right now is the fact that, like, originally war on drugs, you know, cocaine, heroin that was, like, pumped into society and stuff, or even painkillers and things, uh, those people were automatically branded, overdosed or not, branded as criminals, they were put in jail, they were trialed, whatever. With this epidemic, it's, oh no, they are sick people, they need help, we'll just get them over here, we'll do this. Yeah. They're actually helping people. But the problem is, is that there's like there's still a heroin issue and, and all that kind of stuff, but they'll find a heroin addict, still put them in jail, yeah. but they'll find a fentanyl addict or an opioid addict and still put them in a hospital and get them care. The solution, as, as Portugal has recently proven in the past few years, the solution is to completely decriminalize all drugs and make health awareness programs and addiction relief and response programs available because like portugal's uh crime rate dropped significantly obviously yeah and their but their their overdose rate also dropped and their incidence response rate increased Mm -hmm. because people like to do taboo things and also if you're buying if the the drug's illegal to buy you don't know what you're what it's been cut with and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of the time a lot of the overdoses happen because it's been mixed in with with extra fentanyl or it's been cut with something if you if it's if it's decriminalized mm-hmm. then you can get a more trusted source right it's yes. like safe injection sites in bc mm-hmm. they make sure that people don't use a needle that might have been compromised right yeah they make sure that it's a, if they're going to do it at least they do it safely yeah it's, think, it's like the it's like the parents who are just like if you're going to drink drink at home and be you responsible know, be responsible it, and do it yeah. safely and yeah. i think that's at the end of the day you can't it's it's very difficult to police people 
in terms like if, if someone is debt hell-bent on going and doing cocaine mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's illegal to do or not they're gonna go do it yes so mm-hmm. might as well make it safer to do yeah and then you know you then we have programs put in place to deal with the repercussions and ramifications mm-hmm. i think that's the effects the long-lasting effects of nancy reagan's war on drugs has led to the idea that we're going to criminalize people who need help rather than help then people who need help, who need help. exactly yeah. um but the the problem is now though even though they're starting to realize that frame of thinking you know like yeah you know, help the people who need help instead of making them criminals is the fact that the people who were trapped and criminalized in the time before that are still in jail. Yeah. They're not getting released. They're not getting put on p- parole or anything, but they're still paying for something that is pretty insignificant. Like yeah. a lot of them. Well, and everyone's paying because like those, they're paying for it with their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and governments and taxpayers are paying for it with their dollars because they shouldn't be incarcerated in the first place. Yeah. And it's just a waste of money. And it's, it's, which could be better put on to health centers at a much lower cost. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's all just, I mean, a lot of it goes back to institutionalized racism. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it goes back to wait, you know, just the, the privatization of the prison complexes and, like, the need to turn jail into a profit-generating industry. Also fear-mongering. As and well. fear-mongering. Yeah, there's a lot of fear-mongering in all of it. All but... I'm saying is, where was Nancy Reagan's uh, Max Headroom head in the 80s cafe? <laughs> Nobody wanted that. No. <laughs> what did we have? What, uh, Michael Jackson, Ronald Reagan, and... Who's the other one? There was three of them, wasn't there? Yes, Michael Jackson, Ronnie, and... I do not remember the other one. I just watched it last night. So, <laughs> uh, we're in old, so. We're old, I tell you. We're old. It gets to the point where sometimes the brain don't work so good. You know? <laughs> oh, so oh, sorry. I, I, This is a comment that I should have said way a long time ago when we were talking about the first movie. But one of the things in the parking lot when Doc is first getting into the DeLorean before the Libyans show yeah. up. Is he's like, oh, I can, you know, witness the, the Declaration of Independence or the birth of Christ. And I was just like, I understand. It's, a, it's the same concept of, of any time machine. It goes through time, not space. Yeah. So if you say Declaration of Independence, you'll still be in California. He still drive. He could drive. You know, he could drive to the Declaration of Independence yeah. in Delaware. Yeah. So you're you're gonna you're gonna drive through eighteen hours through through wilderness. Un- undeveloped Just land. Under- oh yeah, okay. In a okay, DeLorean? No, no, no. What you do is you drive there first, mm-hmm. then hit 88 miles per hour, and then go back in time. <laughs> so how's he gonna get to the Middle East? So, he gets... He ships the DeLorean there? Yeah, so he, he puts the DeLorean on a freighter. Mm-hmm. Freighter travels to probably Jordan. Jordan be the closest port. Mm-hmm. He gets off at Jordan and drives to, to Nazareth. Okay. You know, not a, not, not a terrible drive, like three, four hours from, from, from Jordan. Mm-hmm. That's probably wise, probably like, like eight or ten. Anyway, probably significant amount if he's on this significant boat ride. Okay. Then finds a place to get the car up to 88 miles per hour and goes back in time to witness the birth of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's all sensible. It's all very sensible. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> mm. Or he travels to the future mm. where they have... Ways of upgrading his DeLorean to fly, mm-hmm. upgrades the DeLorean to fly, and then he can go witness the birth of Christ. That is true. That would make a lot more sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're right. Like he doesn't really address the fact that it, like, can't go through space as mm-hmm. well as time. Yeah. Well, I like one thing I find like funny about it is that 
I know technically it's accidental that he just the only thing they do is focus on the McFly family and fix their issues. Yeah. Yes. Which I think is kind of a waste of use of a time machine, personally. Um, a lot of people say they're like, I'd go back in time and kill Hitler. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't solve any problems, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a better route would be like, be the guy who accepts Hitler into art school. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, the, the problem is the, the anti-Jewish sentiment wasn't solely Adolf Hitler in Germany at the time. Yes. Anti-Semitism was widespread in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was a it was a belief it was a conspiratorial belief against a group of people that has been forever marginalized, right? Mm-hmm. And it's easy to blame boogeyman for your society's problems. And mm-hmm. Hitler just capitalized on that. Yes, I mean, he, did. he he very much believed it as well, and that's part of the huge problem. Mm-hmm. But he like if not him, there might have been another like the, the the ground was swelling and the waters were bubbling for another Adolf Hitler. That probably would have been like st- chances are statistics would probably show that he's probably the, the the chances of them being as horrible is probably lower. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you you have to go back and diffuse that society's problems, um, or go back to the First World War and don't impose so many horrible economic sanctions on Germany, right? Like it's, it, it's yeah. butterfly effects all around. You can't yeah. really you wouldn't be able to stop what happened there. You'd probably be able to just modify it. You mm-hmm. know? But even, like, um, doing something as crazy as going back and killing Hitler, I mean, like, after the war happened and everything, yes, it was a catastrophe and and all that kind of stuff, but world economics and world stature of countries and all that kind of stuff changed. So imagine, you know, what kind, who would be the superpower now, or um, how would have technology have, like, because technology moved quite quickly because of war. Well, yeah, if you go back back and kill baby Hitler, Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't have to be baby. Well, anyhow, like, you go back and kill Hitler before he becomes chancellor, mm-hmm. um, and then and then uh, creates the Third Reich. So mm-hmm. you somewhere between art school and whatever. You kill yeah. youthful Hitler. Um, well, then Japan never enters the war. Yes. Um, Japan is never thus bombed. Mm-hmm. So there's life savings there on one side. Yes. On the other hand, Japan might have continued its occupation of China. And would have retained being an imperialist society Same. first, as opposed to what happened post-war was uh, the atrocity was at least tiny, partially offset by the fact that their economy boomed mm-hmm. and they basically rapidly became the center of all production and innovation for the next 40, 50 years. Right? Yeah. Like Japan's economy was was as a, as a, as a result of what happened when they had to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Rebuilding themselves for for so the world would be a completely different looking place. Yeah, we did that because we wouldn't have. Would we even have the boom of the sem- the semiconductor boom of the nineteen sixties uh, and, and and microchips as we think of mm-hmm. them if war had been averted? Because we we invested so much money into war tech. Yeah, and that war tech is what fueled all our computation and computing. But chips also and like aviation, yeah. um, aeronautics, like yeah. all that kind of. That's aeronautics and aviation are the same thing. Yes. I see. Sorry. Um, but like even like, um, but even like vehicles, you know, um, the space race that have came out of all of it, like the cold war that developed out of all of that. We would be, um, I, I think we'd be, we would be behind technologically by a substantial amount or, or mm-hmm. it would look very different. We might be at like the same rate, but it might have taken a completely different form. Maybe like a different focus. Yeah. You know, maybe we would have a Mr. Fusion yeah. instead of maybe, maybe it was an power iPhone. energy. Like, you know, if, if, the nu- if the nuclear bomb had never been produced, mm-hmm. so, um, we wouldn't have to worry so much about uh, 
because nuclear power was still a thing. But they, you know, we, we like they, we had reactors before we had the bombs. atomic bombs. Yeah. So maybe people wouldn't have vilified nuclear technology, nuclear energy as mm-hmm. much as it has been vilified. Yeah. And we might be yeah living with our fusion reactors now. Yeah, and we, we but the thing is, within that time period, we probably would have developed a better way to dispose of nuclear waste instead of just burying it for yeah. a long time. You know found a way to reuse it or, or something like that. So the point is, nobody knows, nobody has the correct answer with what they do with the time machine because we have no idea what would happen. Yeah, exactly. That is, that is very true. And like, does the universe keep on existing? Does it split off into a secondary universe? Can we mm-hmm. hop between the universes? Well, I mean, there's a theory that time travels already exist and we have many universes. So yeah. there's no real way for us to know definitively. Yeah, because there's the people who denounce time travel as by saying, well, if... if, if Time travel existed, we would have already have met a time traveler because you may already have, and you just don't know. Right, or the alternative is that the reality that we're in continues unaffected, but they create the splinter universe when the reality of that has been changed. You know? mm-hmm. Oh, you know, science and theories and such. Uh, theories that are beyond our like three D spatial understanding are always great because like mm-hmm. our brains are not built to think beyond like this table right here, yeah. this beer can. But and it's also hard for you to prove or really comprehend any of it no matter how smart you are like i know there's like genius brains who can comprehend it but you can't relay that information to other people easily and and i mean at the end of the day it's always speculation no matter what Mm. right because how do i know until unless i unless until i travel through time Mm. i have no idea how it actually works exactly i can speculate i can make all the inferences based on the knowledge we have Mm -hmm. but because there's no because it's not rooted in in science like how would you travel back in time Mm -hmm. the honestly the only like effective time travel really is uh flying through space yeah you have to slingshot around the sun remember yeah yeah. exactly just spin the earth uh, Uh, backwards (laughs) just to read at it he knew how to do it everyone would have died well, yeah, because like the Earth at one point in time stopped moving and then started going the other way. Yeah. So they would have literally just dies. flew off, you know, yeah. the planet. Massive earthquakes all of a sudden. It would just blow up. It'd be over. But he's Superman, so that's true. Yeah. It's all because of Mister Luthor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else? I can't really think of much else. I mean, like, uh, yeah. I think the only thing I addressed is the West stuff. Just felt really like hammy. Yes, very excessively hammy. Uh, it's very much like an episode of like Tombstone, but on crack. You know, like it's really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like Tombstone and Tombstone with just no, with, with just too much comedy and goofiness. Mm. Yeah. But it, it was fun. I, I have a soft spot for it because, like, it was there was this weird Western revival obsession for kids media at the time. Like, remember Five Goes West as well. Yeah. Like mm. that was that that like nineteen ninety period of let's do. A, kids spin on the wild west because mm-hmm. for a long time you know westerns were adult films right like yes. lee marvin right like clint eastwood obviously later on but mm-hmm. um but then with howdy doody and like that line you started getting yeah that's true kids westerns yeah. and i mean howdy doody ties it all back to 1955 yeah the howdy doody episode that shows up yeah mm-hmm. i think like this is a problem that happens with a lot of like uh, sequels and all that kind of stuff. There's always one of them in there that's just you're just like you guys gave up or something. And I yeah. like and I don't think they gave up. I just think they didn't really have a good grasp on what that third movie 
movie yeah. was supposed to be. Well, it goes by really quickly too. Like it's just it it's, it's too much to pack into the two hours that it runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but how how do you end Back to the Future? Like that they did a good enough job with like Doc is now a time traveling steampunk uh, Ren Fair aficionado. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and Marty has his truck. Yeah. Yeah, and Biff does not rule Hill Valley. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's all. That's all you really need. That's all you really need. Yeah. It wasn't bad enough to ruin the series, which is great. Um, but you know, there there has to be one that's not as good as the others. Yeah. That's just how it works. I agree. Yeah. So my advice to you, dear listeners, is to uh, put on your best pair of Calvins, grab yourself lacing shoes, pour yourself a glass of sarsaparilla, and watch all three like I did last night. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good time. Well, thank you so very much for being here thank and having, having this uh, little discussion with me. Um, I guess we'll probably have to have you back at some point in time and talk about some of your other favorite movies. If you want to talk about the Rocky films, I am I am down. I know those films encyclopedically. I'm making a face at you because I don't own them and I don't like them. <sighs> the first Rocky film is a, is a treasure. I mean, I understand why people like them. They are just, I, I, no. They created the genre of inspirational sports movie. Did they, though? Sure did. Rocky won, won its, won its Academy Award for Best Motion Picture, Best Direction, and Best Screenplay. Yeah. For creating that, that inspirational sports genre. But didn't they have that one about, like, the runner? Wasn't that out before that one? Uh, Rocky was 1970... Well, yeah, that one was, like, 1973. Yeah, 77, 78. Yeah. I don't know. But I also, I must admit, I have not watched it in A, a very long time. Uh-huh. And B, I didn't watch Rocky Balboa or the Creed movie. Okay, Balboa is great. Sorry, Balboa is very good. Creed 1 is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, because Ryan Coogler, and Ryan Coogler is a goddamn genius. Yeah. Fruitvale Station is He's amazing. Great. And Black Panther is amazing. Mm-hmm. And like his career went from student at UCLA film, mm-hmm. independent movie Fruitvale Station, Stallone saw Fruitvale Station went, I want him to direct my movie about Adonis Creed and I like I want him to be the creative source. So suddenly he goes from indie film to like big like not a blockbuster but a big film. Yes. And then the guys at Marvel see Creed and they're like, Black Panther, now here's a billion dollar Uh, film. Like, what a career. Yeah, that is trajectory. And he's but he's just he's earned it, he's very good. And so Mm -hmm. Creed is very it's a it's a wonderful love letter to the good parts of Creed. There's a lot of trash in the Rocky franchise, so mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Um, but it's it's an homage letter to the good parts of it, plus a whole new, like, generation. Mm-hmm. Um, still haven't seen Creed 2, which is a, a shame, but I'm on it. Yeah. People keep saying it's, of course, not as good as the other Creed movies. Yeah. But, I mean, if all the actors are there, there's a chance that it's actually at least... And Michael B. Decent. Jordan is a treasure, too. Yeah, like, he's fantastic. Like... I didn't realize how many things I'd seen him in until recently. Yeah. Of course, you know, as soon as the name gets big, then you start spotting them in different places. And then I'm like, Damn it, oh, Mahershala like Ali is like the hardest working man in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I like, I, I, I was just watching, I saw Battle Angel Alita. Hated it. Really? I really Hated enjoyed it. it. Yeah. I thought it was the best anime adaptation to date. Which might be but does that make it good? Um, I really love the 90s uh cartoon which it pulls like Mostly. very 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 heavily from yeah uh so for me it was a treat because it was something that i really liked redone very it, like very well 
Like, it's, it's a well-executed film, but it's schlocky. I didn't think it was well-executed in any way. Oh, really? Like, I found none of the characters seemed to have any chemistry with each other. The writing was kind of, um, like, if there, were, if there was a lot of disjointed parts to it. Um, I, I will admit this, I had never seen yeah, the yeah. anime, right? And I'd never read the manga yeah, either. Yeah. So I was going in blind to it. I was like, and I actually didn't want to see it based on the trailers. I was just like, oh, this looks horrible. But my friend dragged me to see it. And then I was like, you know what? Sometimes, you know, I, my mind could be changed. Yeah. That's fine. And I sat there and I watched it and I was like, I hate every minute of uh, this. I really enjoy and it. But I also like, I like movies that are just unabashed action scenes bound together too. But I didn't, but that's one of my biggest problems with it. I thought the action scenes didn't, they weren't very good. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I found I found them to be slightly boring, kind of lazy, and like, meh. I put it on par with, like, the second Matrix film, where it's not a good movie, but it's a lot of fun. Like, I find it fun to watch. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like, I get that. I, like, it's, it's, it's a spectacle, mm. and there's a lot to enjoy from, like, for me, from the second Matrix film, but, like, you have to check your brain out at Yes, everything. at the door, yeah. And mm-hmm. there's, nothing, there's nothing intelligent about that. Mm. But I brought it up, and I can't remember why I brought it. Up. Oh yeah, because Mahershala Ali is everywhere. Yes, I was watching like and everything. Like, how are you in this? Didn't you just win an Academy Award? Like, how are mm. you in twelve movies this year? Yeah, but that's that's the thing. It's uh, his his uh, like work ethic is catching up, right? Yeah. It's but my biggest problem with when that happens is you get you know five years of them in every single thing, and then you're just like, can you just relax for a minute yep. just go over there and don't get me wrong i think he's fantastic like i just watched this season of um uh true detective yep. with him as well which he did a phenomenal job especially like tra- like translating himself in like three different ages and you know getting that f- old man feel down right and you know like the the jaded cop down right and then like the young guy who's like i'm gonna do my job you yeah, know yeah. like he he has the the time periods so well done and brought forward and he's he's a he's a great actor i just think you just don't want to, you just want ben affleck syndrome to kick in or yeah Damon syndrome or like, yeah something like that you're yeah. like you see them everywhere and so you stop caring mm-hmm. or like you just see like you see them so much everywhere that you're just like oh he's now he's just playing the same guy all the time you're yeah. like, eh, i don't need this you know because you you get worn out you get worked out but at the same time some of these movies may have been shot three four years ago they've they're just coming out now and you know yeah. they just happen to be at the same time and they're capitalizing on the fact that he just won an oscar yep so very true yeah and that's also the thing that blew my mind about alita is how many oscar winners were in this movie yep. and it still came across as like you guys aren't doing anything i think christoph waltz did a great job he didn't do anything he was i was just, he was just, I, a, he was just an endearing old man he wasn't though <laughs> I was just like you're you you seem bored. That's that's what I got out of it. I um, Christoph Waltz. He he was overused for a little bit for a moment there, and then mm. like I think he or his agent did, made a smart decision to pull back yeah. from doing too many things. Because mm-hmm. like right after Glorious Bastards, like he was in everything for a little bit. Oh, yeah, but he also always played sort of like the bad guy. Yeah. You know, like he always played that that guy who a talked a bit too much, and b you don't want to be trapped in a room with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got a little bit of a creepier to him. Yeah, 
But I've seen him in like interviews and things, and he just seems very nice. He's very nice. He speaks like five languages. He's a he's mm-hmm. a polyglot, and he like he's just a seems like a very genuine human being who has gotten a really accelerated like a, a career accelerant late in life. Because you know he was doing a lot of uh, I think he was doing Swiss films and German films and stuff like that. And, yeah. Like, Tarantino found him somehow, or he auditioned somehow, and just like it worked out well for him, and now he's got a Hollywood career. Yeah, good for him. Well, I think same thing. thing going back to Ali, I think he's he's in his like forties, I, I believe now. Yeah. So I, and I, he's been hustling for years, mm-hmm. and it's just right. Well, I mean, you think about when uh, when did uh, he do The Wire? That was in the nineties, right? Uh, two thousands, but still. I thought it was two thousand. Yeah, I think it was two thousand one, two thousand, two thousand. Well, <laughs> it's all... You know what? T- t- I'll admit this, and people are going to start screaming when they hear this in their ear. I've never watched The Wire. <gasps> it's very good. And at this point in time, I still haven't watched it purely out of spite. Oh, spite. Um, and uh, I'm not saying I will never watch it. Just stop telling yeah, me to look at it. Yeah, 2002 to 2008. Yeah, just stop telling me to look at it, yeah. and I'll get around to that. Exactly. Yes, that's it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's a... Uh, it's, uh... Thrilling indictment of Baltimore police. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, actually, you just told me more about the show than I ever heard <laughs> you know, in one sentence. People are like, but it's so good. Like, there's this guy, there's Omar, and they do this thing, and like, oh, they sit in that car. That Did you see that one episode? Oh. People are really bad at summarizing What? <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't tell me anything. Yeah. But no, I'm not going to watch it because you're the 12th person to say I should watch it today. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> I'm a horrible person. Hey, it's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> We're all horrible people, deep down. Deep down. Uh, well, again, thank you for uh, coming and, and doing off my shelf. Uh, anytime. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably have you back for, for something else fun besides yeah. Rocky, unfortunately. Yeah. Let's see what's on the shelf over there. <laughs> There's a lot of things on the shelf, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. Um, I'll actually be taking a little break and returning with new episodes on April 29th, 2019, where we'll be doing several episodes about Batman, starting with the animated series, going into the Tim Burton movies, then the Joel Schumacher, and then the Nolan movies. So that's going to be fun. Holy Batman fest, Batman. <laughs> I know. I, did, like, I didn't realize how much Batman stuff I had, and then I was just like, we have to do an epic thing about this. Should this is amazing. Jealous. <laughs> what was that again? <laughs> what, oh, I can't remember the uh, the cut. Like, <laughs> right, Fallout Boy. Jimmy <laughs> Jillikers. I'm fired. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, until then, you can still follow along on Twitter and Instagram at ohmyshelf, or you can email me at ohmyshelf at gmail.com. Hope you'll be here to listen. <laughs> <laughs>